Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing today, man? Good. Yeah, just a lazy Sunday. Um so uh, what? How, how long? How long have you been? Uh, how long have you? I'm just curious. What's the time frame of your normal stream? Is this like every Sunday? Is this how it, how it works? No, I usually do it around other people's availability. Just because okay. you know, I'm not I'm not exactly like Joe Rogan, so I can't be very demanding. I feel like if I can right, find yeah. interesting people who are kind enough to give me their time, I sort of want to bend over backwards to uh, do it at a time that works for them. So it's usually quite random. It's whenever people can do. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are you up to? You said uh, lazy Sunday, just hanging around. Your, are you in your? Do you live in a flat or what? Yeah, I live in an apartment uh, here in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we did meet, right? Have we met? Do you remember? No, I could be Where wrong. I'm pretty sure. I met Where you very it? briefly. I met you very briefly, I believe, one evening through Jacob Lyles. Where? Okay, I know Jacob. Yeah. Um, it was a few months ago. I was in town for a political science conference and he invited huh. me out and he invited a few people. And I, I think you, I don't know. I could be wrong. I might be confusing you with someone. Maybe it's, it might've been, I didn't recognize you because I expected you to have a British accent. Um, do, do you live in the UK? <laughs> I live in the UK. Yeah, that's right. But okay. I'm an American. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's completely possible. Jacob's a great guy. He's my friend. I know him. Um, yeah, so sorry like, if I don't remember you. No, no, it's cool. It was like a little party thing. So there were a bunch of people. I wouldn't expect you necessarily to remember, but I, I think I remember. And, Wait uh, a second. I do remember you. Yes. Okay, you it, was at a, it was at the Kaaba bar. Yes, that's right. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that was before I knew you from the internet. Um, uh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you had to leave early, so we didn't get to chat very much. But uh, yeah, now yeah, we... Unfortunately. Now, now we can. The power of the internet. <laughs> Oh, um, cool, man. So maybe we could just jump right in and tell me, like, could you tell me a little bit about like when you, when you first got the idea for Jacobite, like what was the, like, what's the whole idea behind Jacobite? Cause a lot of people look at it and, you know, you have this slogan that it's like a, a post-political magazine and then people sure. read it. It's obviously got a lot about politics, right. obviously yeah, okay. political in some sense. And I think some people are like, you know, what is this all about? So maybe right. in your own it, words. It's tell, one tell of, I mean, yeah, the post-political thing, I mean, that's that's a term that's kind of like, a, I don't know, I think that can be a Rorschach test, because, like, you can just project so many things onto it. And so maybe it's not a great term to have, because, like, you know, when I'm, like, when I'm, when I'm working, let's say, with a writer, and they use a cliche, I'm not a person that initially thinks cliche is bad. I actually think, like, the flight from cliche is itself a cliche. Um, I think it was uh, Roger Scruton that said that. But, uh, there's the cliche is bad when you're trying to use imagery because it doesn't evoke anything specific. Like the term I use, the, the example I use a lot is if you write like a fog rolled in, well, once upon a time that might've been like really evocative. That might've like forced your brain to get out of the groove and sort of like, uh, 
go somewhere else and actually like you know knit together an image uh but not anymore just because like, you've heard a million times so it's kind of been redshifted through so many brains that it means a million things to a million people so i mean i think it's kind of unavoidable some terminology um so well, before i get into like what exactly i mean by post-political uh, i'll just start from the very beginning um yeah. why you know why it's called jacobite and like where we got the idea uh so uh jordan bloom or j arthur bloom you might know from twitter uh he's a very close friend of mine uh we went to college together then he was my roommate in dc when we were there working he was a journalist and i was a journalist too um and then he, he he's a he's a very smart guy he has a very deep knowledge of history and this is about five years ago um and he was talking about the jacobites like the jacobite uprisings um and i didn't i haven't even heard of those uh thanks to american education i guess uh at that time and i was like wait you mean jacobins he's like no no, no. jacobites they're in fact, kind of like opposites of the Jacobins. I'm like, okay. And then like later it'd be fun. Like, um, I think there's a different time where we were talking about like a, a Jacobin magazine article. Which I think it's actually pretty good. They do good work. Like it's usually pretty restrained, analytical, informative. Um, they have a lot of very stupid stuff too. Uh, so, you know, I like anything else. Um, however, so then I was like, we should make like a Jacobite magazine. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, it's just kind of like, you know, as things tend to do, it just kind of like from that little green, it, it became its own thing. Um, we we sort of spitballed the idea around for a while, then just, you know, tried to get a little bit of um, money together to pay some initial writers, pay a web developer. Um, and yeah, so I mean, a lot of people interpret it as like a riff on like jacobin which it, it really isn't exactly it's kind of just like what i described it's like yeah they they think that because they've never heard of jacobites <laughs> right <laughs> like yes said. yeah yeah right uh but you know it's we're not really trying to be like the evil twin of them or anything like that we're not we're not uh trying to do anything like that we're kind of i don't know it's a uh, and so it's it's really two things it's one it's kind of like trying to capture this very nebulous intellectual current that Maybe would be well described as post-political, which I'll, I'll dig into that a bit in a moment. Maybe described as something else, but kind of some kind of like, um, you know, uh, this strange and embryonic thing that's that's like dis like the dissident right, perhaps the dissident intellectual right. Like, uh, and these people are the sort of like not disenfranchised, but they're kind of like the the forgotten child you know they're 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 they don't really have uh like any prize fighters and any 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 like you know i guess william f buckley's or so on trying to trying to legitimize their views or 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 give them a platform or anything like that so uh mm -hmm. so i i and it's so in that in that regard it's we're kind of like okay what 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 would what's not being written that like we would personally like to see uh and it's like, well, no one's writing about this. Why is anyone writing about this? This is really interesting. Um, so then we'll be like, okay, this is how we pitch. This is how we solicit writers. Um, and the second part is, you know, it's, I think there's, when people try to apply, you know, try to use their intellectual efforts to critique society or, uh, you know, at least opine on society, that's usually kind of done through this filter if you will of okay so how does this relate to parliamentary politics so how, how do we mobilize voters within a republican system to like 
get enough seats and so on and so forth. Um, and you know, uh, there's a whole lot more to society than that. Uh, or even the political in a very, very broad sense. Like I know Marxists use the term political to mean like everything. Um, that's a very expansive definition of the word political in my, my assessment. Uh, but when I think of political, I think of the public contest to gain power, to decide who has power. Um, and basically, I, I think there's very interesting alternatives to that and how you can really change the course of human social organization. And let's say, uh, let's take a really easy, big example, the invention of the transistor. I think that's arguably bigger than the French Revolution at this point in terms of how it's impacted human life. Uh, maybe not yet. It's definitely bigger than the Russian Revolution. Uh, I'd say in maybe 20 years, it's just going to be like unambiguously bigger than the French Revolution, like how it's changed history. Um, so, you know, that that's a really like, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I actually don't know who invented the transistor, but whoever did, I don't think like they're trying like time to change society. They were kind of like, doing what engineers do and trying to like take things to logical conclusion and make something better. Um, but right. it was in, you know, it was in Bell labs in the war effort. Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, and so the, like, you know, other ways, other things we're seeing now, it's like, okay, we have li- like libertarians complaining about the federal reserve. So they think, I guess they need to get like fucking Gary Johnson or some goober like that elected and somehow get seats in, you know, the house and the Senate. Uh, and then you're going to pass a bill and you're going to end the federal reserve. Okay. That, that's the political way of doing it. <laughs> you're engaging in the tug of war of, of, you know, the public contest to decide who has power. And frankly, I think those kinds of people, those libertarians, I have a lot of disagreements with them, but one of the most obvious and like, not even like value disagreements I have, but like procedural disagreements is like, man, libertarians are just not cut out for this kind of politi- parliamentary politics. Like, if that's what you're trying to do, this is like a really defective way of doing it. No one cares about this. Like weirdos care about this. Ron Paul cares about this. Who <laughs> yeah. cares? Like, so, but yeah. I mean, there are, there are real answers outside of this kind of public tug of war, this kind of deliberation there there's, you can build Bitcoin and that's worth like say what you want about Bitcoin. Maybe it's like stupid or like fake money, but like that's a way to hedge against our existing public institutions or even private institutions. Um, and similarly, you know, it's like, like, well, do you want to, you, you can, if you know, it's like uh, Albert Hirschman, who had voice exit in politics. This is, uh, many of your viewers are probably familiar with this, but, you know, voice is lobbying, voting, getting out there and picketing and influencing the media and trying to change the hearts and minds. And then there's the exit, and like, you know, fuck this, I'm taking my ball, I'm going elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, that that's one side of the post-politics is exit. Um, and then you saw this like Cody Wilson, you know, bad things recently happened to him. We'll get into that. But, you know, it's like, why should we worry about like creating a hundred new NRAs to try to like just own a gun and defend ourselves? Why don't we just like, well, why are we asking for permission to do this? We can just do it. Like, mm-hmm. and so that's uh, what Cody Wilson did. I think is a very post-political statement. This is like, I'm not interested in engaging in the public deliberation for power. And you know, on the other side of post-politics, that's sort of just that like sort of exit, which is I think today dominated by those kinds of like crypto anarchist currents. Well, you have the other way of politics being over. So in, you know, you have Bitcoin and Ghost Gunner and whatnot, and you're like, well, politics is over because there's no longer a reasonable 
way that you can capture like the public deliberation to actually influence human social organization in this way. That's done. We, we, Bitcoin's not open for discussion anymore. Whether you, whether that's good or bad, I'm not even taking a position on that's a way to stick here, but like that means politics is over in those regards. If those become big enough. And another way politics is over is that if the process itself of like the state, uh, you know, you have a king. If you have a king, what's great about a king is that it's it's clear who has power. There's no more contest because the king has power. That's officially, that's de facto and de jure the case. Um, of course, you could kill the king and you get the civil war. You could have like a succession war. But, you know, obviously, like nothing's perfect. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, you know, if, if, if the king says, you know what, the, the queen of England was like, you know what, uh, this parliament thing, we're not doing that anymore. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to invoke my rights. I'm going to maybe, maybe get some friendly people in the executive branch and the intelligence agencies. And you know, what? this isn't a thing that we have to deliberate anymore. This isn't open for discussion. Um, and so I think that's, a that's in the, those are two things people don't put together very often, like the crypto anarchism thing and the, the, I don't know how to put this, the just deliberation over. I'm the king. Like th- th- those are very things that are natural, not allies, but it's naturally adjacent to one another. Right, but you certainly don't think that there's any candidate for the king at this point, right? There's a uh, confusion the around the United States. What's that? In the United States now. But you know the the distribution of power within the United States government is itself extremely ambiguous and messy, and there is this problem that you know where exactly power is located. That's constantly. Sure obfuscated right so i was just sure. clarifying that you 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 were saying the idea of a king and kind of centralized super clear authoritarian power of some kind actually can coincide with kind of the crypto anarchist tendencies sure. but like the tendency yeah, to yeah. to to squash the, the the idea that you know uh the word republic comes from res publica in latin or how you pronounce it and that means a public thing so governance is a public deliberation and there are these two things maybe on different sides of it that are like nah this doesn't have to be a public deliberation you know um right but right. And so you know I, I think an example of going in that direction is actually you know even the, the very new supreme court in the uk that's only from 2009 used to be the uh the law lords, the House of Lords is the court of last resort. Um, it's still, that's like, there's no real deliberation there. It's basically like the queen, one of her great officers of state, and then uh, on advice of the prime minister, not his cabinet, not the parliament, um, and then the, the Supreme Court itself and some other senior judges. Those are all people who just decide who's going to be on the Supreme Court. Um, and then, you know, uh, so that's really going in a direction of the post-political that's like well there is power a court wields power of course it wields power over public life and you know it orders public life in a certain direction so in the very expansive marxist says yes these things are still political but if we constrain it a little it's like well no there's no there's no deliberate bodies like the senate handling that king of norway for example appoints right. uh appoints well let's finish this one thought he, he appoints, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. The, i'm just thinking he, yeah. he appoints uh all the senior justices and judges in the country with only the advice of a deliberative body that he personally appoints himself. So it's just like basically his buddies is like, Oh, he's going to be, and they have the most successful judiciary in the world by like, even by like, you know, liberal democratic standards, like rule of law and judicial independence. 
Yeah, no. You, uh, by the way, you can speak as long as you want. I wasn't cutting you oh, off. Yeah. I was just. Okay, no, I, I just. I'm just I'd be happy to hear everything you have to say. No, no, it's cool. Yeah, no, and feel free to speak for as long as you want. Um, I was just thinking that it's almost like if you if you have a strong power that is invested with a uh, very clear authority, it actually kind of makes it easier for there to be freedom in civil society matters, right? So it's like sure. There is this kind of interesting complementarity between the crypto anarchist and you know I'm I'm like basically a kind of left libertarian really um in a lot of ways mostly I mean I guess my views kind of are somewhat complex but if you had to peg me I, I I'd probably be most intelligently pegged as a left libertarian and you know you can make a good case that even from a left libertarian perspective you would much prefer there to be one strong kind of clearly delineated sure even somewhat authoritarian power but that has you know um doesn't have to kind of compete or obfuscate itself against like other competitors it's it's so strong and clear in its domain in in its authority sure. in its control that because it doesn't have to kind of like rely on all these different media games and it doesn't have to kind of play all of these like cultural signaling games in this kind of complex way that it you know, you currently see with like the vying for control of the U.S. government. Um, in a, in a sense, it would actually give people, even with like egalitarian missions, kind of like more clarity to create for themselves like what they types of you know or like sub organizations that they believe in. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on like okay, which do, like if you have like that, a kind of like strong let's let's say authoritarian, but perhaps just like strong and clear like centralized power that's got to fall somewhere so either that's going to fall in, in that like you know the gay people can get married this isn't open for discussion or the gay people can't get married this is open for discussion and uh either of those like you know this isn't necessarily a left-right thing though i think leftist just leftists are generally more concerned with the idea of democratizing and deliberatizing like you know there's a joke about like every kind of like you know radical organization it's like has to go through five committees before they do anything, you know, like everyone needs a voice. So I think, I think like, you're right. I, I definitely don't exclude um, the possibility of this being pro uh, going in the left wing direction. But I think that uh, just because the nature of, well, uh, well, first of all, I mean, the left liberals are, you know, hegemonic right now. So the idea of exit is appealing to people who are somehow disempowered. Because the idea of crawling up the like the ladder using the same rules as the guys in the top of the ladder like just isn't very appealing. So you know, like back in the '60s, like the people who were like free speech, that was all like Berkeley students in the '60s. They were all they were all like progressive liberal radicals. Um, the free speech movement was called. But now you have these like you know alt right like shit lords and like also like the Mike Cernovich types. Uh, they, they, they do the same thing now because they're, 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 they're hoping for this kind of like, please let us, let us talk. No, no, no. They're kind of sanitizing their shitty beliefs by like, I think the not very compelling, like appeal to like, well, we are evil, but we have free speech or like they're evil, at least by the people and people in power. It's like, no, no, no. Like all, like all, all they can possibly say, they can't be like, yeah, I'm pro white nationalism, uh, which I'm not a white nationalist. So everyone's clear. Um, uh, they they can't say that, but they can say like no, no no 
I support my own right to speak about white nationalism. Like it's kind of sanitized through a liberal lens, but uh, it was kind of a tangent, but I mean, I do think that uh, like, I think the closest you can get to kind of like politics is over within like a solidly unambiguously left wing uh, uh, system or context is, you know, Lenin, Lenin took power. He's like, look, I'm replacing it. It was done with who knows, who knows how much of a true believer ideologue he was or who you know, as much. He's just like, look, this is how I'm going to get power. He came very close to having absolute power. Academics replaced with pro-Lenin academics. Journalists were replaced. Ministers, the heads of the military, uh, you know, <laughs> the engineers running the sewage. Like every, everyone was replaced that would have any kind of say in what goes on in society. Um, but again, that was that was kind of there had to be a proxy argument for that. And the proxy argument was, no, this is the will of the people. We have this democratic centralism that everyone has a voice. So the true voice can be escaped from like, you know, the false consciousness of like this liberal capitalism. Um, But when you get to right-wingers doing that, you don't really need proxy arguments. They can just be like, yeah, it's like, I'm in charge and that's good. (laughs) You know? Uh, So (laughs) I, I think, uh, I, I do see what you're saying, and I think there is virtue. I think there's a lot, like you know, it's in Jacobite. We don't just run. We don't just run right wingers. We've run leftists before. I think right, Trump so I, I was going to ask yeah. you about this because earlier when we when I was asking you about it, you described it as dissident right. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting because you know you do have this kind of slogan of being post political, and it's and it sure. kind of seems like you in some ways of the public messaging and public branding is kind of trying to not necessarily pigeonhole, pigeonhole itself as, as right wing. And sure. as you said, I, I, I know that you have run some kind of left-leaning pieces. So if you, if you see yourself as dissident right or you see the larger kind of goal as dissident right, then what's like the underlying cultural politics where you welcome leftism? Or how do you see that? So uh, I think that the dissident... Uh, the short answer, I'll start with the short answer. And that's, I think there's a very interesting thing that leftists have to say that are adjacent or attended upon or instrumental to things that this are little like flavor of the vaguely right, but certainly dissident like uh, line of thought uh, likes. So there are things that go hand in hand. Like there's, so, you know, some parts of some corners of leftism or some corner of any corner of any ideology, Georgism, <laughs> negative utilitarianism, you name it, they'll, they'll have something that will overlap with someone else. Um, but and I would like to clarify, though, I think post-politics does lean right. Uh, I think if we're talking about, like, we're going to look at these organic uh, forms, modes of social organization that seem to propagate themselves naturally without any kind of mass deliberative coordination. Like, if you, if you just, like, if New Zealand was just separated from the Earth, um, for a thousand years or something, it just went to its own planet. And uh, they also, in the, in the meantime, so where some, everyone lost their memory, all the, 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 all the hard drives were wiped. They all, they kind of lost like culture and I don't know, things are supposed to believe uh, things about liberal democracy and so forth. And things about like, you have to respect gay rights and all that. They just forgot all that. And they started over. They, maybe they started like an, a, a Neolithic level. Um, I think we'd see something very predictable in how their society organized themselves when they came back in like a few centuries. Uh, I think we'd see that they supported healthy family structures that social conservatives are very worried about maintaining. 
These are just forms that naturally fall into place and can survive the test of time outside of external pressure. They're kind of the entropic uh, uh, destiny of human social organization. When you take your pedal off the gas, um, you know, if you take away single mother subsidies, maybe that's not a good idea for social welfare, human, you know, moral humane reasons. I don't know. I'm not going to uh, litigate that here. But let's say we did. I have a feeling we would have a lot more healthy family structures that we would have less uh, kids that, you know, are in need of all these government programs themselves. Like, uh, you know, single mothers, we know, like we, we, just, we just know that these kinds of families produce kids who are drug addicted, who are, you know, themselves can't really maintain a relationship, can't hold down a job and so on and so forth. It's way higher across the board, like statistically significant. Um, so if we just stop single motherhood subsidies, that'd be an example of one little example of taking the foot off the gas. Um, maybe there'd be a lot of pain and an unacceptable amount of pain from that in the meantime, but eventually people would be forced to rediscover staying in this example, healthy family structures. Like this is the, this is the social entropy. This is where, when energy is no longer applied, things just flow down the hill. Um, so I think there, that, so, you know, people criticize the left, right paradigm. I, I do see uh, merit in that criticism, but I just think, I think there is like a bimodal distribution of these ways of looking at human society. And one is like, no, we have to apply energy until utopia happens. And that's left. And the other one's like, you know what? What happens when we don't apply this mass coordinated deliberative energy? And okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, that sounds a little bit more like a kind of normal libertarian, libertarian position. Like we should peel back policies that have unintended negative consequences because yeah, like a lot I, of government, like the yeah. idea that a lot of government intervention that's, you know, uh, perhaps possibly well-intentioned uh, has, has negative consequences. And if you just peel these back, on that, that's going to be good. I mean, I'm not, we, as I said, as you said, I'm not going to litigate that either, but uh, that certainly sounds like a political position and a kind of pretty typical libertarian one, or am I missing something? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, what I'm sort of saying is that like, I don't even believe that like, I was giving one example that libertarians would happen to be amenable to. Um, okay. And right. I, I think that like the, the sort of virtue of libertarian is, libertarianism is um and i'm not a libertarian i don't agree with them in a lot of positions such as you know ways the social conservatives and so on don't agree with libertarians um libertarianism itself is i think rather apolitical even though it does have a very political like a, a policy goal angle um i think what's the that's but but in a sense like what libertarians want is their vision towards organization of human society i think anyone who thinks about things almost everyone who thinks about things like just gets their intellectual hamster wheel going is going to want to like has their vision of how human society should be organized for which direction should go at least some kind of vague direction i don't consider okay this is this is a human person and they have like uh, they have social needs and this is where we should go. I don't think that is itself su sufficient uh, to call political. I think to, to, to be called political in our little sense, and this is, of course, this is always going to be controversial, is the, the, uh, our very specific conception of that, how, how we direct human social organization today. And that's, again, through these, this idea of everything must be deliberated. Like, you, you know, you always hear about like, 
Airbnb, it's like hotels don't like that. And like some neighborhoods don't like that and stuff like that. And it's like, we never deliberated this. It's like, and obviously it's, it's, there are like human social organizational goals that this leads to. And right. Uh, I, I think the important thing to take away from it is like, yeah, we didn't deliberate it. And like, that's good. This is something that actually like, like just happened. And, and that's not even necessarily libertarian. Like uh, I think, you know, libertarians might like a lot of this stuff. They, they, they like ghost gun and they like Bitcoin and they like stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's like, what, what is the natural state of these New Zealanders I described that go off into a different planet for a hundred years after being Neolithic or whatever. I think they're going to, they're going to, they're going to organize their state power in a, in ways that uh, let's say aren't very libertarian. They're going to, they're going to, they're probably going to have just like every other human society has prohibitions on homosexuality. There's going yeah, to be, there's going to be coercive prohibitions on promiscuity. There's going to be, you know, prohibitions on adultery. They're, maybe they're going to execute people for that. So uh, these okay. are things that are very right. not liberal, that are not libertarian, but are ways that human societies flow when, you know, libertarianism was kind of an outgrowth of a couple like du- English dudes in the 16th or 17th century who were like, this would be, this would reduce violence in our time and place. But right. like, the idea that like uh, liberalism or libertarianism is sort of the zero entropy social state is something I definitely disagree with. Okay. So it almost sounds like you kind of have what one might call a natural law perspective. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't give much weight to natural law though. So I, I would, I would agree like kind of the vague. Direction of coming from. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Uh, I, I think that there's, we can look at, because I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I view this natural law, I view this as instrumental. Like, okay, there's things that we can look at that are instrumental to other things. I don't think we can look at and be like, no, this is what must be obeyed. I think like what I describe as like healthy societies are things that the supermajority of people just happen to like very much. Um, okay. I, 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 I'm a Catholic, so I derive uh, my, my moral underpinnings from divine law. Um, but uh, so, but I, I think there's, divine law often you know things that we call natural law are map on pretty well you know those two things sure that's right yeah yeah okay that makes sense i was just curious if if you might see it that way so someone in the chat is asking uh a a question they want to know did you if you voted for trump do you feel like talking about that i did not vote uh if i if i was forced at gunpoint to vote i would have voted for trump um i don't necessarily I, I i did not vote either Okay, that's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, voting's stupid. Oh, it's a waste of time. Political, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Voting is just a massive waste of time unless you're in like the swingiest of swing, swing, swing states. Like if you're in a municipality with like a thousand people and it's like dead 50 50, then voting might be rational. Um, you know, yeah, think- I have preferences. Go on. If you want. No, no, that's it. That's it. You can- okay, cool. I was just curious. Yeah, well, someone in the chat was curious. I was curious too. Um, I, an interesting reflection I had listening to you talk about the political is that I feel like for a while before the kind of most recent wave of kind of uh, moral panic uh, on the left and this kind of entire cultural politics that has kind of uh, subsumed the public image of the left over the past few years for a little while there was I feel like there was a kind of a consensus on the radical left that was somewhat post-political also like and I think, I mean, I've been like, quite embedded in the radical left for several years now. And I think back, especially to like the days of Occupy, you know, if, if my memory serves me correctly, 
I would say the average viewpoint at that time among like my radical left wing friends was that the that you know the entire electoral system is not worth any time or attention. Um, there was this profound and widespread skepticism towards the whole towards the whole game and uh, a kind of ethos of yeah, basically. I mean, in some ways, Occupy did have this kind of like exit um, ethos to it, and I was very affected by that, and I was very kind of influenced by that, and then. It, I found it very strange when all of a sudden people started getting way more into electoral politics and, you know, the importance of, you know, fighting within the system. And I was just kind of like, that was kind of interesting to me um, yeah. because yeah, I guess what I'm, what I'm kind of driving at is I feel like there is a latent interest or a latent kind of reservoir of interest in, exiting what is widely seen i think on the left and the right like deep down when you really drill people's attitudes a lot of people on the left and the right think that the entire political system and the whole game even a lot of the cultural politics is this kind of uh really increasingly stupid game that's not worth anyone's attention or time i think there's a lot of feeling of that on the left and the right but i think the left a lot of people on the left feel kind of held morally hostage to a certain like charade a certain performance of oh my gosh like what you say about trump on facebook matters so much for the livelihoods of like poor transgender people somewhere like there's there's this kind of people are falling over themselves to reassure the people around them that they're like a good person and that people really i think a lot of people feel like there are stakes to that like i think there's a fair amount of sincerity on the left like people think it really matters what they say about Trump on Facebook. Sure. Like if they don't say, if they don't speak out about Trump on Facebook, like it's going to hurt someone's life down the line. And, and, and they, I think they really do think that. Um, but mean, but like, meanwhile, there's also this large reservoir of people on the left who, who don't want to bother with it. Cause it's increasingly stupid and, and meaningless, just nonsense signaling, but they, they can't like write for Jackbite because all of their friends would shit on them. Do you know yes. what I mean? So like, yeah. I feel like there might be a realignment kind of underway or maybe on, you know, on the horizon, that's not quite there. It's maybe waiting for some sort of like cascade moment, but I feel like there's, there might be upon us a certain kind of realignment in which like the left libertarian um, wing who's currently kind of held hostage to silence will soon kind of crack and defect. And then like your wing, the kind of dissident right, will perhaps maybe kind of like um, find some, I don't want to call it common ground because that's like a vulgar kind of uh, like, yeah. you know, vo- that's a term of, of, of like old, vo- old voice politics. Yeah. But mm. you get what I'm saying? Like, I think there could be a realignment in which sure. um, there's strange new groupings might emerge. Yeah. I think that, uh, there's two very, two very interesting, everything you said is interesting. I think the two, uh, super points you made that are interesting. One is that I think leftists are more inclined to sort of cargo cult uh, speech and voice or, or political expression. Um, and I think that's for a very good reason, because I think uh, the preferred leftist modes of social organization, either the goals or the procedures to get there, are very much dependent upon either struggle sessions or like implied distributed struggle sessions. Everyone needs to clap their hands and believe or else this fucking thing falls apart. Like, yeah. like you know, if anyone's like, you know, I don't buy this. Like, that's kind of an existential threat to a system that's held together by like tape and goodwill and like 
like you know goofy theories um and your i mean I'm, uh, that's kind of that's disparaging i'm not being charitable but uh you know like and anything that's sufficiently utopian that requires an alignment of all of society like everyone needs to be in lockstep uh let's say totalitarian and i think leftism and anything that's dependent uh, or that buys into ta the tabula rasa theory tends towards totalitarianism um any of that is very, very concerned about this kind of like public square like hygiene that needs to be clean and perfect because one stray note, that's a big problem. Um, and right. so the second, the second, the second, I think more important or bigger point that you were bringing up is that, um, yeah, the, I think as like, let's say Trump gets reelected, let's say it looks like they're going to Republicans going to hold on to the Senate for a while. Um, uh, it looks like it's a good chance that the judiciary is going to be reshaped uh, the GOP's image. Um, and maybe people like that, maybe they don't. We'll see. But uh, certainly left libertarians or leftists in general will like that. And I think it's just kind of we're, we're, we're already reaching a moment where uh, the sort of shock and horror that we see from a lot of these leftists, many of them, most of them perhaps even being blue checks, uh, we, we see that it, it looks a lot like how those people themselves describe white privilege. Like a white person is shocked and appalled when there's a temporary suspension of their privilege. Like the, you know, for a little moment, you know, that, you know, dominant cultural institutions aren't making everything easy for them. And I think that's exactly what ha is happening with these leftists. Um, and they're like, oh my God, like, what was it? Uh, Think Progress got fact-checked. It was like the first fact-check ever that Facebook promoted that was like not by a left-wing organization. It was the Weekly Standard. It was like center-right. They fact-checked like, uh, Think Progress said something like just straightforwardly false about Brett Kavanaugh. And they're like, what? We're being fact-checked now? And then there's like, it's this loss of unquestioned power that seems like oppression to them. Because, you know, relatively kind of is like going from zero, like 50 to zero is probably what you could describe as oppression. But they're going from 100 to maybe like 75. Right. Um, but, you know, I think there are this is this thing's going to become more common to them. They're going to be less horrified as time goes on. They're going to become more sober. And they, OK, it looks like absolute media control isn't enough. Like these dumb fuck yokels out in the middle of the country still have the ballot box. They can still elect people despite like how much propaganda we're blasting in their ears. Um, and that's going to be a, I think a wake up call to indicate more of these people need to do things themselves, like, which is good. That's great. They need to build right. alternative institutions. They need to try to carve out an exit of their own. And, you know, right. there's ways to do this. Like, okay, you're sick of this corporate like wage slavery. You can build a co-op you know, give your, give your workers uh, ownership in the, the institution they're working for. Um, and that's great. Co-op grocery stores work very well. Maybe there's other co-ops that could work well. You could have, you know, union dominated uh, uh, shops. You could, uh, you could, you know, actually I was actually soliciting someone. They were very upset about the net neutrality rules change. I'm, I'm sure you heard about that. Um, right. Yeah. And people are very upset about it. I think it's not a big deal. I don't know if that's my opinion, but whatever. A lot of people were, most of them on the left. And they were working on building a mesh net. This is a very, very ambitious project. Um, there's a, 
one in New York City, I think that like is pretty. I mean, because you need density to do this, because like the 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 local like relays, which are these like micro, I think they use these like microwave things. Their distance is about like it's like half a kilometer if unobstructed. And you just like you set these up to relate to each other, and you can build your own little like network that has nothing to do with oh, the yeah. internet. And so then yeah. they were trying. They were they were they were thinking of ways to connect this to other cities internet so all these people could be on the same like kind of uh like artisanal internet of their own with this uh the isps aren't there to take away your netflix or whatever um right and so i I tried to get them to write for me that never materialized uh maybe they saw we were the bad people or whatever like you said like their friends would shit on them but no I'm, i'm very very interested in seeing this like you know what we got to do something about this, like Trump. We, we got to, we can't overthrow him. It's not, it looks like the, the resistance is kind of a joke. Um, we might have to settle for doing things ourselves, you know? And I think it's very interesting. I'd love to have more people writing about that. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's more attractive anyway. It's like, even if the resistance, I agree. Some, like, yeah. Even, even if there was like some compelling model for how a resistance would actually work or like how, you know, like, even if I could be convinced by like the DSA or something uh, or Jacobin about how, you know, we can establish a functional socialism or something in the U S like, even if I could be convinced of a compelling model of those things, and I haven't been yet, which is why I, I personally am not really interested in that route. But even if I could, I'm the, the trouble and the effort and all of the kind of bullshit yep. games, all of the bullshit games that you have to play that are so costly yeah. to, to do that through the current kind of, totally broken um system that uh, that we have is not worth even if even if you convinced me it was possible i it's just so much better in every way especially because of kind of the digital revolution that we're still only in the infancy of in every way it's just more attractive to just divert your attention away from the center the big confusing distracting spectacle of of mainstream power just look away and think about how can you more creatively and more intelligently uh, make what you want to see in the world. And I wonder if the, you know, one hypothesis might be that, cause I guess the, tr- the, the, the drum, I guess I've kind of been something a little bit out here on the internet is as a kind of like left libertarian kind of anarcho communist type of person. Generally, I'm kind of like, I would rather talk with and work with honest, intelligent right wingers who are like, not that evil. Like as long as like, they're not actually trying to like do harm to people or something like that. Right. I would rather talk. I'd rather talk to and work with an actual right winger. If they're smart and they're honest and they're straightforward and they can, they can lay their cards on the table and make reasonable adult, you know, exchanges yeah. and, 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 and plans. I would much rather talk with those people and try to build some like interesting, uh, effective, whether it be a culture or some sort of like institutional design, whatever it might be. I'd rather experiment on the outer edges of what's possible with those people and even spend one more day of my life, like trying to make sense to like a kind of indoctrinated, like SJW type. And my, my wager is that eventually like the SJW is going to get so kind of cognitively taxing that if you're at all like intelligent and, and you still have a pulse on the left, you're going to more and more kind of agree with what I just said. And I, 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 I'm kind of placing all my wagers on the fact that that will eventually there will be a critical mass of leftists who suddenly start doing things like Jacobite and start reading things like Jacobite. And there's 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 going to be this 
maybe the new cleavage, like my hypothesis might be that the new cleavage will be something like those who um, are willing to just create for themselves what they want to bring into the world versus those who yeah. are not able or willing to do that and are trying to like play these ridiculous old games. I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think a, 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 an important way to look at it or important like little like thread to look at perhaps is you constantly like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to compare the to Tolkien's like mythology or meta mythology. Like is in his stories, uh, evil could only corrupt. It would, it couldn't create like, you know, like mm. uh, the orcs that are corrupt, mm. like uh, humans or elves or something, so on and so forth. Uh, but you know, in, I'm going to, just a little bit of a fedora lord point but uh you know the sjw as you described and we saw the thing with linux it seems like they can only have entryism they can only take what those people who built things that you were describing who are intelligent and industrious and interested in building things uh and they can only go and say no no no, no. you have to let us in and let us be in charge and then of course there's new in like doctrines that sort of are sclerotic and you know uh, stamp out any thought that can actually create something else from that like uh it's and it looks like that's happening in tech now that's a big thing in tech uh and Mm. i think that doesn't bode well because i think tech is one of the great places you can find this kind of like you know we're just going to build stuff instead of trying to pump billions of dollars into moving an electoral needle just like half a millimeter like because i mean compare compare that to the nonprofit industry in the united states I'm, I'm from DC where everyone is working in a nonprofit or the government uh, or journalism, I guess. Uh, but like so much money, so much effort and money, so much intellectual capital is tied up trying to get this tiny movement on this, like this, like deliberative spectrum, you know? Uh, and it's just, so, it's so wasteful. Like some of the smartest people I know are in these nonprofits. Like you, you'd have, you'd have the most intelligent and insightful conversations with them, but like, the, the, their their labor is just captured and this is just because like there's like it's a few things like one is a tax code like 5013c's like canada doesn't have the same kind of thing exactly so there's not really the equivalent thing there but also just because like as long as we at least in our minds maybe not exactly in reality to the same extent but in our minds everything is at stake with like this deliberative procedure then that's where all of this all these resources are going to go and i think a lot of it is changing the minds of getting people to think to know it's like no man you like why don't waste three hours in your tuesday to go vote like you have better things to do like that you're not first of all nothing's going to change at all second like from your individual vote secondly like three hours a lot of time if, if you're a decently capable person like there's something that you can do in three hours probably different from the guy next to you, but there's something you can do in three hours that can like actually have an impact on how society, uh, you know, which direction it goes towards like helping the human person do what human people are supposed to do. Right. Right. Now I'm curious, Robert, do you see the, the kind of the SJW left that's kind of very high salience right now? Do you see that tendency increasing more and more over the next several years and kind of uh, increasingly spreading its tentacles everywhere? Or do you see it um, like fizzling, fizzling out? Uh, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I think, I think it's going to get stronger. Um, uh, And I, I think that because the normal modes of, you know, like shaming or squashing or isolating people that would like, that would prevent this thing from snowballing, 
just don't work for some reason. And I, I think it's, it'll take someone smarter than me to say exactly why, but uh, you know, it's like all of the things like, there's a special kind of armor that these like uh, I've I call them post Marxists or college Marxists. Someone else has told me, or uh, SJWs. I guess is fine. Just like various kind of like Buzzfeed type radicals. You know, um, these are all walking Buzzfeed listicles. And you know, you have the uh, what they actually believe is kind of more retarded than what you can actually like exaggerate to make make fun of them. So I think that's actually like a really good uh, defensive attribute. Like all of the normal criticisms of the SJWs or whatever you want to call them uh, don't work anymore because they've become boring and repetitive. It's like all of the criticisms are so obvious that they're banal now. They're insipid. Like, so you, you just seem like a, a, like some kind of like culture war grifter, grifter, like, uh, Charlie Kirk or some someone like that. Like <laughs> the SJWs right. are babies and wear diapers. Like that's how all the criticism of them looks now. So there's no criticism left. It's been mined out. And so, but they're still doing their thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's become right. obvious and boring and it's become aesthetically discredited to even criticize these people. Cause you seem like just another, like Paul Joseph Watson when you do it. Um, so right. I think yeah. that's a very good defensive attribute. So I think it's going to keep growing. Well, that's that's definitely true, and that's interesting. That's a good point, though. What that leads to, though, is like what if you're like an intelligent leftist and you're not into the whole SJW dynamic, you you realize what you just said, which is you can't even criticize this anymore if you wanted to. It's so sort of banal and normalized now. What that means, though, is that the sooner people realize that, the sooner they choose exit. Right. The, so so the alternative model to what you were describing is. Precisely because you might be right, you see more and more people choose exit. They choose to defect from the entire game, basically. And yeah. you see this, you know, so so the alternative possibility would be you see, like, I mean, some people argue that we're kind of living right now through quite a renaissance of, you know, kind of radically independent uh, culture and intellectual totally. life. And, I, you know, I was talking recently on, on the stream, actually, with... Um, Jordan Hall. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's kind of well known. Uh, Jordan Greenhall. He used to be. He used to go by. Anyway, he's like quite an interesting dude and quite a smart dude. And he was saying how if he had to say if he had to kind of um, describe the magnitude of the of the kind of cultural renaissance that's going on right now in terms of free speech and free thought against kind of the the status quo that you and I are, are I think both uh, aligned against. He was saying that you know this is probably a a, a a change about the magnitude of like the Renaissance uh, or no, I'm sorry. He said, he said the enlightenment, he said, we're probably in a, in a moment of change. That's about as big in magnitude as, as the enlightenment. And, you know, he's a really smart dude. And that really got me thinking, like, I think that might be right. I think we're just at the early stages of it, but it's happening every day. And so, sure. yeah, I think you, you could see the whole SJW thing fizzling out sooner than people think if, because as you said, it's, it's mostly parasitical, right? So it's there they're 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 carving out value for themselves that was created by other people and other times and places and mm -hmm. so like when the people who make that value just take their ball and go home you could see people like you know really losing and, or dropping the whole like sjw uh model of like cultural climbing it could just run out of right. steam because they can't get their hand they can't get their hands on you know like value to uh be parasitical on i don't know yeah, uh, I, I think that I'm I'm new to the Bay, 
So I, I don't have a particularly sophisticated opinion about like the culture, the tech culture here, but uh, I think that tech might be their Waterloo. I think that there's a great deal of preference falsification in tech because every mm. other, like in DC, there's no preference falsification because it's your job to be like an Ivy log. It's your job to be a show. So everyone wears their politics right on their sleeve. But then, mm. you know, here it's like engineers. I just want to like, Hey man, I just want to like take systems and make them better. Um, but and so that means like to keep their head down, just like do their very interesting and sophisticated work. However, that also means like that engineering mindset, I think also lends itself to, looking past present status quo bullshit like like if you're doing anything if you're like refactoring computer code like okay we can scrap this and do redo it like which i think lends itself to a dissident type of radicalism which means mm. that like so in people people uh people over here in sf uh are, are quiet about it but if you talk to them in person i think a lot of them maybe this is maybe this is a selection bias because like hang out with a certain types um but a lot of them, uh, they'll be like, yeah, this is crazy. This is terrible. And, of course, you're not going to say that if you publicly if you work at Facebook because Facebook's full of communists. Um, no offense. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we, uh, I, I, I don't see there being a total victory here because, like you said, smart, productive people, they don't need this kind of, like, you know, demotic uh, with a T, not N. Uh, it's kind of demonic too, but uh, they, they don't need that to like to a lot of people who aren't good at things. This kind of like just getting an megaphone and screaming, and then going to the ballot box and making Facebook posts that are angry and criticizing people on Facebook. That's kind of their only plausible route to making a little bit of a dent in the world. But I think people who actually build stuff there's a way more like cost effective and time effective and impactful way to do it. So, and I think most of those people, they're not interested in just being like, yes. Oh, of course it's good to cut a, cut an eight year old's penis off. That's really good. Like uh, very few of them, I think they can see past that bullshit. Like, you know, these are if you, like, if you do psychedelics or something, just as a different example, it's like what they do, I guess as Huxley described them to us at least. It's like, uh, I'm not promoting drug use here, but um, they they just like scrape away things you're expected to believe, and I think that's kind of a very typical way for the engineer's mind, or let's say use let's use kind of a trite term, innovator, the innovator's mind. I think uh, that's kind of how they more normally oper operate on that kind of like scraped away bullshit level. Right, right. That's interesting. I mean, something I think a little bit about is how the a lot of the sort of sjw types they i mean your 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 rendering of them wasn't necessarily unfair i don't think but you know they have i don't think it's that they're not good at anything i think that sure. maybe is oh, yeah. too, I, that's yeah obviously false right i don't know if you said that exactly but you said something that sounded a little bit like that and i was just okay. thinking like i think they have some traits that don't necessarily get rewarded very well under like contemporary techno capitalism and and yet because of kind of the role of emotions in media culture and just the the games that people can play with each other the sjw types are certainly they're constituted in a certain way where they don't have the traits that allow them to like create tech businesses or something like that 
but they do have traits that are good that are you know what they call like soft skills right like yeah. pushing people pushing people's buttons you know to get things that they want and those skill those traits or those skills do have value oh, the problem yeah. is that they only have value in healthy communities right yes. like they they have a yes. they have a role to play in a healthy human community the problem is that they don't really have a good role to play in contemporary techno capitalism and so that's why i'm kind of like I take a little bit more of a sympathetic view on it because I'm sort of like the SJW types. I think what I see them as uh, is as a kind of sublimated economic behavior. They're trying to, you know, carve out um, some resources for themselves in a world that is increasingly brutal and increasingly not sure. really hospitable to them. Whereas I'm sort of like, if we want to, if we want to see less and less of their like maniacal and destructive behaviors, then we need to create communities in which that that are healthy, like actually healthy human communities in which those people's traits and skills can actually be valued and, and rewarded and put in their proper place and in like a sure. functional whole. Um, so that's 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 kind of like the one of the lines I've been pushed. And that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in weird experimental institutional designs, maybe in which you could imagine some sort of arrangement of rules um, in which highly productive people on a small scale and kind of pool resources with other people who are not so like economically productive, but who can do things like loving and caring for kids and cooking sure. food and doing these other types of things. Well, like I actually think you can seriously imagine Absolutely. arrangements in which those holes are created and it's kind of communist and it's kind of um, hierarchical, but it's maybe the truth of human being is actually somewhere between like these molar categories of left and right without sounding right. like a, you know, vulgar, like we should all uh, get in a circle and, and sing songs together type of guy. Yeah, um, I, I think what you're saying is very true. I've actually written about something kind of along those lines. My, my last article for Jacobite um, was uh, basically I, I looked at the Brett Kavanaugh thing and I wasn't even taking a position in this article, as we generally don't. We don't really take positions on object level politics like that or, or that's not the angle it comes from. Um, but people were looking at it from like, well, either there's three main ways of looking at it. One is that like, okay, this guy's a rapist uh, or, you know, and then like this, this brutal and uncaring GOP is not uh, copying that. Or then the other one is like this brutal and uncaring democratic party is accusing innocent man of rape. And then the third one is, okay, it's both, which I think is a little more accurate than other two. So, okay, these are both just like partisan power plays. It's just like pure partisan interest. But I think the third is just that we were looking at it from, we were trying to smuggle, I think what you described as these, you know, like in this small scale situations, these these kind of like, you didn't use this word, but like I'd say like uh, benevolent busybody kind of uh, personality traits. Um that that are useful in like small like tight knit kin groups. Mm -hmm. um, those those like have a different epistemology. Like you can have a different standard of truth there. Like if my sister tells comes to me, she's tears in her eyes and tells me she was like sexually assaulted. She was fucking sexually assaulted. Like there's, there's no like there's there's no two ways about it. Um, but that's because she's very close to me and we have extreme trust with each other. And right. it's my it's my responsibility to be. To, to, to take her for her word in this situation. And right. I think that's at this scale is how like, I'm going to say a feminine epistemology operates. The, this is the, the domestic and the parochial 
and the personal and the subjective. Um, but right. I think that's, the a, problem that's a really is, good point. That's a good point. I mean, that's, that's yeah, go on. I, I think there's a problem when we try to smuggle this to the, the largest of scales. We try to take this up to the scale of not only 330 million strangers, but where there is power over these 330 million strangers at stake. When we get there, then like we can't use this kind of epistemology that's, I think, native. It's, it's not 100% native to women or 100% alienated for men, but it's a kind of a bimodal distribution. That's something that's more feminine, which I think is why this resonates a lot with women. Um, that just can't work because you can obviously game systems that way. So I think this is kind of similar to what you were saying. Like these people have skills that make sense for like in like family, very close friends and associates situation, which is that humans evolved in those situations. It's only since like industrialization where like that isn't the normal and important and valuable scale of human organization. Um, so I think there there is kind of like. Uh, an alienated anthropological uh, and I think very feminine uh, ethic going on there. And I think obviously a lot of men have this too. I, I, I think kind of the two groups we're kind of talking about are the systematizers who are very much less the SJWs who are like, believe women. Well, obviously you can't build a system out of that. There's problems here. Like the autistic systematizers like, ah, this, this can't work. You can't always believe a woman, but like, um, you know, but then that's callous. If your daughter comes to you and says she's sexual assault, it's like, well, I don't know that. Like, that's obviously monstrous. Um, right. So I, I, I think the, the systematizer versus empathizer, and which is often, I, I think, maybe this is uncharitable or wrong. I think uh, SJW males are more in touch with their feminine side, at least in this sense. Um, they, they have a more feminist mode of reasoning or epistemology, or not feminist, feminine mode of reasoning mm -hmm. or epistemology. I think that, that gap is really hard to bridge. Right. I think that's, I think that's plausible. I think it's, I think it's quite flexible though and plastic. I mean, I've known people in my experience on the radical left, even myself and my own experiences, I've known people change. I've watched them change a lot through cultural conditioning. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic because, you know, the, the idea that we're all socially constructed, you know, I, I mean, we're obviously not all socially constructed, but right. when when you have a strong kind of treatment applied, when you have an intense kind of social community really telling you very strongly to think or feel in a certain way, we are quite plastic, you know, at least in the short term. And so, like, I think a lot of the males you talk about, like male feminist SJW types, mm -hmm. you know, they probably were much less feminine, uh, before they were, before they started being uh, subjected to intense kind of cultural conditioning that, yes. that now is like quite, quite widespread. And I mean, I've known people who, when I met them and we were buddies, they were pretty normal, um, fairly masculine, kind of average masculinity males who, after like getting socialized into SJW circles, you know, in a matter of a couple years, started really kind of identifying as 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 queer or maybe even trans and mm -hmm. and you know their Whoa. body change like their body type kind of changes a little bit their demeanor changes in ways that like you know can be can be quite intense and i think their sincere kind of uh uh experience of, of their own subjectivity actually can change i think i think quite rapidly i'm talking about fairly sure. uh extreme i think uh 
uh, treatment conditions, uh, if you will, to use uh, social science language. But uh, so that's probably not representative, but I've kind of seen some interesting cases like that, I think. And so all I'm really getting at is, um, you know, I think a lot of the kind of like male feminist hysteria that you're seeing, which frankly, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I actually count myself as something of a feminist. Um, but like what today is called like male feminism is often just like cowardice. It's just male yeah. being, it's males being pussies who have I no courage. Independently come to my own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. And so all I'm, all, the, the point I really wanted to just drive at is that a lot of the kind of, especially like the male lack of courage and the male kind of uh, just mushiness that you see today kind of masquerading as sympathy and support for women. It, I think it actually could, you could see a change radically like, and quickly yeah. um, if there was, if there was a corresponding kind of uh, cultural change, if the SJW kind of social pressure cooker were to significantly decrease I think, you know, you could, you could see a lot of people become way more healthy quite quickly, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, a problem there, is, I hope I'm not going off too much of a tangent is that go for it. I, you know, I, I, I'm very much, I don't consider myself a feminist. Uh, I very much uh, am worried about the well being of women in our society though, because I think that there's kind of a dual, uh, there's these dual, I, I guess, to to go off what you were saying, like like intense social conditionings uh, that are just like f- forcing people into unhappy contortions. One is that, like, okay, to be a good woman, you have to be just like a man. Like you, your your value system is being as close to a man as possible. Like we no longer value, at least in like cool Buzzfeed, like she's a badass because she does drone strikes in Yemen, right? Like yeah, like uh it's 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 no longer like she's a badass because she has like this powerful humility where she can just like without expecting thanks like do do important things in this community or like for even for her children like that's no longer uh put on a pedestal and other things like yeah she is big at jp morgan like that that's all you can look forward to and that's all you can derive status to from really and i think that's against the natural inclinations of women. Um, the other one is I think that women are unhappy when men are, are weak, like you described, like that. that I think everyone's unhappy because at least there's general, general disorder, disorder and indecisiveness. Um, and, you know, I, I think like the problem with what you were saying, like there's a social context where a lot of these people were describing their 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 attributes and skills are kind of uh disenfranchised or left in they're left holding the bag so to speak uh and i think that's true the problem is i think the society they're trying to build for whatever reason is going to be more disenfranchising it's going to be there's going to be more closeness replaced with alienation like all we're going to have to look forward to is the world becoming one gigantic strip mall with like like atomized, depressed, Prozac-dependent wine ants who are told to never have children. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. that's that's that that's gonna that's gonna create these things, these atomizing trends. That's gonna accelerate these atomizing trends, um, which are perhaps inevitable, but it's gonna certainly make them faster. It's gonna make these people more and more alienated, more and more trying desperately to stave off nihilism. Um, and you know, if we want to bring back closeness, we have to bring back these the anthropological logic of gender roles like gender roles like the idea that every woman was unhappy before like 1955 is obviously insane uh 
And, you know, uh, it's like, we, we also didn't have people who were like constantly like dependent on Brozac. Like, you know, I don't know. This is, this is a tangent. And I think that this is. No, no, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we see things too differently. Like I'm, 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 I'm more or less content to call myself a feminist just because to me, all that means is that there's going to be some number of women whose unique kind of personality attributes um, are, are fair, are mismatched for the totally traditional true. gender totally roles. True. And so I just, I support their freedom to do whatever they want for the most yeah, part on their own so, choice. Right. Yeah. But I, I also would affirm that for most people, the traditional gender roles are going to be the best choice. I mean, yeah. that's just, they're, they're here for a reason. Like they wouldn't, we wouldn't have certain traditional gender roles if they weren't right. relatively quite effective in sustaining that- life and community and, and, and reproducing itself. So, yeah, I mean, that's all. I, I think that's like the basic reasonable feminist position is like, if women want to be different, that's fine. Let them be different. But sure. let's like, I'm definitely against the kind of current feminist um, trajectory or tendency that wants to, yeah, basically um, act as if, um, you know, uh, women are like comp- all women are completely equal in every possible way. Right. Um, because I, in, I, and I agree because I agree with you that it's doing at least as much harm to, to women as it is, uh, to men, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think, you know, what you said about the, this massive social conditioning, I think that's the culprit. Like, you know, that's like, you're conditioned to feel that your, your, your values that you know you actually hold a wrong and you need to replace them with like this kind of like careerist consumerism to be happy and i think trying to tell people have different just like completely alien values i that's you're not gonna have a good time yeah i i sometimes feel really bad for like i can't imagine what it must be like to be a young teenager boy right now like Mm -hmm. trying to date like trying to get laid in like the current (laughs) in in the current culture like what kinds of mental gymnastics and, and physical performative gymnastics does, does like a, you know, 16 year old or 17 year old young man have to think and say and do to, to get laid and, and or to even just like date or whatever. Um, Cause at such a young age, you know, you, so you'll say and do whatever the culture around you says you need to sure. say and do to get, to get the girls. And I just imagine like, I would like to read a good like ethnography about this in kind of the age of like peak SJWism because yeah, it's gotta be tough. I mean, I've, I've heard the statistic. I cannot vouch for, you know, how true it is, but it's a 25% of teenagers in California that identifies non-binary, um, which I think, I I mean, who knows? Maybe this is bullshit, but and I think, I think that only translates to like, they act exactly like a normal boy would, but they say they're binary, non-binary because like, that's cool or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I think that might be part of like this, like Darwinian reproductive strategy play. Uh, it's like, well, I mean, fitting in, it's like, I think, I think women are very conscious of social status and defectiveness in mates. I think they very much look for that, which uh, has the secondary effect of, I think causing, men to be like well fuck this is what i gotta do you know oh yeah no definitely it sure looks to me like um especially in you like young urban adult culture there is like the the male status hierarchy is now kind of like 
how how sophisticated a you know like uh, SJW feminist can be. It's like that's that's what they're selecting for. And right. I think for young women, it's very thrilling to see men kind of do all of these uh, linguistic acrobatics to yeah. prostrate themselves as as male feminists. But I've also seen, and I, I seriously, I've seen, I've seen this play out in people's lives and in, in people I know, like it's thrilling, I think for young women at first, and then eventually they realize they've actually like, they've actually cultivated like a very uh, kind of weak man. And, and then, and then they end up like leaving them or cheating on them with like some bro. Like I've seen this kind of happen before. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see like how, how that's going to play out in the long run, but I guess that's yeah. all just speculative i think uh, the saving grace for men is that at least in this very small regard uh, this is obviously isn't that much of i think a world historical problem or issue um but uh, i think that because for men um dissidence signals mental fitness in many situations so if you say like i think differently than the herd that i think that's often attractive to women but obviously there's people who try to like do that fumblingly and look like fucking idiots, like dumb hipster douchebags, but you know, <laughs> definitely. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're right for sure. Um, it's different. It's in, it's interesting though. But the, I think the problem is that when you're a really young man in your teenage years or like young, early twenties or whatever, um, to be like a dissident is really hard when there's like literally no other pocket. Like usually right. to be, to be a dissident, you at least have a few people, to kind of like uh, rebound onto like friends, you know, like close friends, for instance, um, or, or close family. Like you, you need some minimal place to, to recover from when you go against the herd. Do you know what I mean? I think Definitely. what we're seeing, what we're seeing now in today's culture is it's so claustrophobic. It's so all consuming that like young men who kind of know what you said, which I think is absolutely right. That like the best way to get girls is to be the badass who thinks for yourself and says what is seems true to you, no matter what. And, and dissent. Like they're not even able to access that that space because it's like they can't see or hear or smell any space in which from which they they could do that. Um, they could draw so strength. I, yeah, isolation is. A, I think the internet the internet is giving right. them that kind of isolation yeah. is a super powerful tactic to crush dissent. Um, if you think people are the only like I have this like, horrible thing gnawing at the back of my head and I'm alone in it, it's pure evil. Like that's the easiest way to get someone to like to neutralize them. Um, that's right. You know, yeah. I think, obviously it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like a mystery as to why there's such a campaign to define down harassment into meaning like on Twitter to mean like saying the not good th- the having the bad thoughts having the bad opinions that's because if like the, the kind of the floodgates have broken in kind of a rather postmodern sense that like the, the authorities are are kind of dead they've been they, they, they've been they've been dethroned like and that's you know as much as like jordan peterson criticizes postmodernism in this very ham-fisted characteristically ham-fisted way um he, he he's kind of produced by postmodernity you know like mm. this, this like the, no one, no one is a gatekeeper anymore. Um, right. And I think that's kind of a threat to this kind of tactic of isolation. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is that uh, well, you, you have these 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 typical modes in a liberal democracy to exercise 
not absolute power because you can't do that in a liberal democracy, but exercise, you know, hegemony. Um, and, you know, 50 years ago, you'd have a few editorial boards and you have ABC and NBC and the New York Times. And they would dictate the, the, what the country talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of worked. That kind of worked. Um, and I think it's a problem because it looks like you know, they were never, there was never the, the level of just like constant, concentrated, like heat ray of bias than there was when we saw the 2016 election and during the Trump presidency. It's just been like straightforward advocacy journalism and the positions that were being advocated for were anti-Trump and pro-Trump opposition. Like if you were, if you were a Republican, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I think it was Dave Weigel of the Washington Post, in fact, that tweeted this. Uh, he said that like there was this poll that came out because there's the idea that like Trump wasn't the real Republican, the conservatives, real conservatives didn't like Trump because they were the good ones. But it turns out 96% of self-identified conservatives in the country supported Trump. And then so hmm. the joke Weigel made was the other 4% go on cable news. So like <laughs> anyone who could disagree yeah. with Trump was elevated this way. Like it was like, Oh yeah, Bill Crystal, like he wants your kid to be transgender, but like, don't worry. He's really cool about bombing Iran. He's the good conservative. Um, But, uh, you know, it turns out like this just wasn't enough. And I think this is like weird. This is kind of like the weird unquestioned loss of power we saw uh, where like this, this cultural domination isn't working. Like this is, this is going to be like an existential crisis. And I think in addition to what we were talking about before to loop it back there about like people being, the people on the left being more and more amenable to these exit-oriented strategy of actually building alternatives themselves rather than relying on lobbying the people in charge. Uh, I think that's going to be a trend, but I think also people are going to lose faith in... Like We've been comparatively lucky that our ruling elites, who are, like I'd say, left neoliberals, they're like neoliberals of the culturally left flavor, um, they've been contented to just control the means of representation but that's not working anymore so i, I think they might look to, to 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 control other stuff too they might get a little more leninist in their outlook uh but interesting, interesting. Yeah. so do you i'm curious as, since you're an editor you know and you yeah. as an editor you kind of have this i presume you have a you must have a sort of view of kind of the culture and the especially sort of the intellectual ecologies and the different, you know, you must pay attention to who's writing stuff where. And I imagine you're kind of scouting for, you're always trying to scout for talent and stuff like that. What do you, I'm curious if you have, what is your read on academia? Um, and kind of the the battles you're seeing right now over academia. You know, you hear about more and more cases of people like Brett Weinstein who kind of get pushed out, but then they're just doing, and Jordan Peterson also, then they just do their own internet thing. And in some ways they have more power doing that. Um do you, do, are you watching all of this and, and thinking about that? Do you have a read on like where, what it, what is the current state of play with academia and where you yeah. see that playing out in the larger like intellectual ecologies that we're kind of all in? Yeah. So I'm going to start with my most uh, uncontroversial opinion on this. And that's that I think, so most of the humanities are compromised. They are run by just like these kind of left neoliberal radical and other kinds of communists who just want control. Um, but history, history is actually really great. Like we we have more and more tools. We have like, uh, 
new genetic tools, new statistical tools today. We're just like, history is just getting better. And history is kind of inoculated against this like parochial, narrow-minded view of just uh, like giving, like, being a good party man and just like, you know, uh, putting things in the direction of the party's goals. It's inoculated against that because you have to put yourself in the shoe. I'm sure you know, you're an academic. A historian has to put themselves in the shoes of the person in a time and place of what they're studying. It's like, I'm not going to judge. There's the person who made the human sacrifice comment. You remember that? It was a big, big shit storm about it. It was like an academic's like, maybe Aztecs, some of them wanted to be sacrificed. Uh, and all the, a bunch of right-wingers criticized him. It's like, this is cultural relativism. Uh, in academia at its worst i'm like no this is what historians do and this is why it's actually inoculated against this kind of radicalism because you have to put away your personal baggage and you have to put yourself in time and place like this is what they believed and because most people believed in things in history that were comparatively sober and radical compared to our like kind of consumeristic bazinga buzzfeed uh over culture i think that's very good um but in terms of uh you know, in terms of like building alternatives to academia, uh, I think there's some really promising stuff out there just because of the economics of it. Like, call, it doesn't look like college is getting any cheaper. Any like idea of just making college free is like just fucking from a excuse me from a fiscal standpoint. That's just not going to happen. That's like many times more expensive than like all our wars in the last 20 years combined. It's like, we can't just stop going to war and pay for college. That's ridiculous. Uh, so I, I think we have these, like um, these sort of alternative negotiated cer- certificates, like, or certifications rather uh, to signal that you're not defective because what college right now, maybe you disagree. I very much, uh, Jacobite interviewed Brian Kaplan about this. He has a new book. Um, uh-huh. I actually, the title escapes me right now, but it's uh, it's it's good. I've read it and then I interviewed it. It's basically about how uh, education is mostly wasteful, particularly higher education, because all it is is a positional good. If more people get college degrees, that doesn't make society better, because all that does is put them in a, in a position at the same or ahead of other people with college degrees. Right, um, which is like, why now you have to have a master's degree to be considered educated. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, and I, I think. Um, here in San Francisco, it's actually comparatively sane. Like, there's there's people who, who work at tech companies that don't have college degrees. I think that's really cool. But uh, they have to signal competence in uh, other more difficult ways. Um, but the fact remains that most of what education is is signaling. It signals right. that you are you, you know not only like there's the there's the most cynical types of signaling that I'll talk about. Like and that's like you know which fork to use, you know how to write a letter, you know how to be polite and deal in an office, like your parents probably wore ties and went to work, you know how to like, you know how to interact in that social sphere, you're not an outsider, you know how to use Microsoft Word and, and stuff like that. It also signals that you can sit down, shut up, you can, you're at least good at tests, um, you, you, you have some you kind of intelligence. Delay gratification. Yeah. You can delay gratification, that's mostly what it tells people, and that's important. And, well, but the, the problem is, as more and more people do this, as this becomes, as we expand sort of the degree franchise, so to speak, all that does is intensify the defectiveness signaled by the people who don't go to college. It's like, wait, everyone's doing this now. 
why didn't you it, you seem like a weirdo or someone there's something wrong with them um but i i think there's some hope spots and uh I think this could, I know I'm not exactly answering your question. And the hope spots are these alternative certification organizations. Like uh, I interviewed the founder of Lambda School, which teaches uh, very specialized computer science skills like Android development. Right. Guess they're that specialized. Them, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and they seem, they seem like they're great. Um, and, you know, some of these boot camps have gotten criticized for not really teaching like the, the meat and potatoes of computer science. Cause you can't compress that into like a six month online course, which I think there's something to that, but I think that's inevitably going to happen when this is like such a, an embryonic like venture, like, yeah, people are going to get things wrong and we're going to get people like some of the people certified aren't going to be exactly what they need to be certified in. So, but I think, uh, right. like we're going to move just because this college gets more expensive as it becomes more and more like frankly useless, you're going to have people who, who try to instill themselves with skills that, uh, in other ways. And there's going to be a slow, cause re- but right now, because these certifications don't mean anything to classic degree conscious employers. Um, but I think as they become more common, that's going to lessen less signal defectiveness just because it's going to be, it's going to be normalized. Um, in terms right. of like, you know, the Weinstein uh, or Weinstein, uh, no, it's Weinstein. Okay, yeah. Um, think, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, I think, no, I, think Brett Wein- I think it's Bert Weinstein. And uh, Weinstein is the uh, Hollywood dude. Yeah, it's Weinstein. Weinstein, that's it. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there's kind of like, this, we get the sense of like, first of all, I think a lot of these people, a lot of them have interesting things to say. Some of the things they say aren't so interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to reserve judgment for now at least, but uh, I think the interesting part of this is like the sort of horror you're seeing at that, at, at what they're doing is the horror of um, the librarian no longer being the gatekeeper of knowledge when Wikipedia comes around, you know, like yeah. remember in high yeah. school, you probably like Wikipedia, that the devil's work. You can't know Wikipedia allowed. It's like, they've, you just go to their citations. That's, that's what I did. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, like there was actually a pretty good system of control where, like, you know, journalism is downstream from academia. Things that were in academia 15 years ago are, like, in the BuzzFeed listicles now. Um, like, you know, cisgender, that word. Uh, and that's a good pipeline to have for journalists. And journalists, part of their compensation is being able to control the conversation. They like it. It's frankly good. It makes you high status. It's fun. And journalists don't get paid a lot of money. So the the gratification they get is being able to be powerful culturally. Um, So, and same with academics. I mean, I kind of say more in journalists, but you know, um, it's, it's, you're not going to be like a Google engineer. It's not going to be making that much money. Um, so I think you're also, if, if you lose some of your compensation, some of your ability to put your fingers on the scales and, you know, what we're doing here right now, uh, put, like trying to push society a little bit in the direction that we prefer, um, they're not going to like that. So I, I think, you know, there's a natural sort of uh, immune response to these kinds of people. But I, I can only see it like this, like just it, it, not only is the, the technology is here, I think more present than that is that 
it's it's clear that this is a thing you can do. You can do what Jordan right. Peterson does, uh, or right. and so on and so forth. And uh, no one was really able to stop you. People couldn't shit on you. That's about all they can do, though. Yeah, I think I think your diagnosis is really apt, especially what you said about how there's this horror at it from people within the institutions. There's a certain horror at the Jordan Petersons and the Brett Weinsteins because the if if you can, if it is actually a viable pathway to defect from the institutional game as a whole and go to, go it alone completely independently. That, I mean, if you've invested your whole life into uh, basically like compromising your thinking, compromising your speech and your behavior to have this, um, you know, what you thought was a guaranteed kind of platform of, of status right. and, and social respect and influence. And then all of a sudden it turns out that the, you know, the, the social reality is different than what you thought it was. And there's actually a pathway for someone to just say, fuck it and go rogue. And all of a sudden they know they don't just have um, the same amount of status or influence as you, but they actually have more. There's like, I think you're absolutely right. That horror is, is one of the popular emotions. Um, and just because, I mean, I, I've kind of seen it a little bit um, firsthand, like in my recent, uh, the, the recent kind of nonsense that, that I've been going through. Like, it's been really interesting to note. Um, I don't know how much you've been following or whatever, but basically I got some flack from some, Yeah, I got some flack online for like using inappropriate language or whatever. And um, it's really funny to, to read like my mentions, how many random academics from like whatever, like Bodong University uh, messaged me to say that like I should be ashamed of myself or, Whoa. you know, all these like just, 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 I mean, it's not usually that intense, but it's usually like some kind of condescending message of, um, you know, con- condemning me in some sort of vaguely like moral or ethical register. And, you know, yeah, it's hard. I, I, I basically have the same read on it as that you have, like I, that, it, that it's a kind of like, it's a horror at the very possibility that maybe one of their own, just doesn't really feel like being constrained by stupid rules, which all academics will talk about like privately at the pub, you know, like all, all academics will talk about privately about how, you know, um, how expectations are unreasonable and, and this and that. But then in public, there's this kind of like hand wringing that, that everyone has to do, but it's hard, it's hard for me to uh, avoid the inference that at the heart of it, there is a kind of horror of the, of how cultural power is shifting right now. I think. Do you think, I saw, Go on. Um, do you think that the there like there's become more like because the academia you there's kind of compared to like other other let's say fields of human life or disciplines uh, there's this kind of like academic freedom like professors can say what they want they can they have this platform that's what academia is for they have this platform to be a free thinker that's always how it's kind of been but do you feel like it's that's becoming less the case? And that's why this kind of exit is happening with these people like, fuck it, we're going to go to a platform where we can have these old, perhaps never existing liberties that we cherished or we, we look back on. Well, so I have this kind of hypothesis that I think over the past few decades, because of the acceleration of and the increasing kind of efficiency of kind of global techno capitalism, in large mm-hmm. part because of uh, the digital revolution, there's been stronger selection at work in many institutions. And so that's a kind of overarching hypothesis I've had for a while. And I've kind of laid this out in some of my classes, actually, that I teach. 
but basically it looks to me like all institutions, including academia, but other ones also, whatever it is, whatever traits that they are looking for, for the job, um, their ability to find those traits exactly and to select those traits and to, you know, uh, filter out people with out those traits or with more complicated mixes of those traits uh, has increased. So, so selection pressures have, accre- have increased, I believe, in many institutions. And because of that, in the academic context, I think what that means is that over the past few decades, academia has just been importing into its ranks more and more tightly well-behaved people. Yeah. So the, the 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 norms of academic freedom have more or less probably stayed, but who gets to enter academia has become radically more constrained. So there is a kind of radical narrowing of academic freedom, but it's not by censoring or policing anyone. Right. It's by increasing selecting selective pressures to ensure that the only people who make it to a tenured position are highly mm. predictable and reliable representatives of a very, very, very tiny niche of thinking and speaking and acting. Um, And so so I think what happens is if you're someone like me, I'm kind of an anomaly in terms of like my, my class background and my personality uh, uh, constitution. Um, If you're, if you're an anomaly like me and you kind of get in and you figure out a way to kind of play the game and, and climb the ranks somewhat, you, you have a major, you suddenly find yourself with a major problem on your hands. Because you realize actually to to live in this sort of highly selected, constrained environment, um, you have to be constantly like policing yourself. But it's interesting because it doesn't play out in terms of like big academic debates. It's not like I have some big research project that they don't like me doing because it's politically sensitive. Although there's a little bit of that. It's more just like you have to be a very, very narrowly constrained type of person. And, and so, yeah, in that, in a weird way, it kind of avoids the debate about academic freedom. Like that's kind of been right. obviated. It routes around um, that, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, so that's, that's my read on the larger, the larger dynamics there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, but uh, it seems to me from what you said that like, maybe like the official standards haven't changed, but like the soft standards, because standards only exist inside the head of, of the people who constitute these institutions. So if it if if it's being selected more for like like you know keep their head down or like busybody sticklers, I think then like the the unofficial standards have certainly changed. Is, is that about you think right? Is that sure? I think you could say that. I think the the um it just takes place at a different level or a different stage in the in the in the process. You know, it's it's not like um it's not like certain types of research agendas are prohibited. Exactly. Uh, it's just a certain type of person is more rigorously selected. And then, yeah. And then there's all the kind of soft uh, socialization forms of, of censorship that I think that I think are quite, uh, are, they're definitely heavy. I mean, at conservatives in academia, the small number of conservatives in academia, there's lots of ethnographic data about their reports and, you know, they, they, they leave academia because it, they find it inhospitable. Um, there yeah. are some conservative political scientists who I whose work I've I've kind of read for some time, and um, yeah, there, there's no doubt that there are uh, political biases in what type of research gets rewarded to a significant degree. I mean, that's a that's a very rigorous form of, you know, that's a, that's a problem for academic freedom for sure in some mm-hmm. sense. But there there's very little explicit kind of censorship. Sure. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, there was a question. Oh, unless if no, you have something ahead, else on ahead. that, or no, no, no. I, I would love to hear a question. 
Yes, there was a question earlier in the chat about how um, apparently was there some kind of beef between Jacobite and uh, Doug, Douglas Lane at Zero Books? Yeah, uh, one of his former his former writers, who's great, um, Nicholas Hausdorf, uh, has written for us a few times. Okay, and yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't actually know enough about it to to give a. Uh, a take on it that wouldn't fan the flames more, but I mean, I think it's it's just what we're seeing. It's like, wait, th- this guy that we once gave a platform is now saying the wrong thing, and you know, so, it's like break it down, break it down for me, if you will. What did he say, and what happened? What was it? I mean, it's just uh, there's a podcast. I watched a little bit of the podcast they had together. I mean, part of it was the this the guy running the podcast, not Nicholas Housedorf, Douglas Lane edited it so like it was deceptive so it sounded like Hausdorff was saying things that he wasn't kind of like okay. a classic shit you just like shouldn't do um and because i mean and which is particularly weird uh obviously i'm gonna take the side of like Hausdorff because like he's great he's a great writer um but i mean it's just like, a weird thing to do if you like invite someone because like, the sort of like tension had already existed before that um but then this seemed to be like an olive branch he was extending. Like, hey, come on the come on the podcast. Let's just talk about this. Like, no, you know, no big deal. And then, at least from how from what Hausdorff told me, um, that his words were just taken and like chopped up. And yeah, okay. So what was like what 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 was the like controversy or drama? Like, how do people know about this? So what what I mean, happened? The, the, what was, the, the, what was the the contra- I mean, the controversy, the only thing I know is through Hausdorff. And he just told me, he's like, yeah, my old editor is all pissy because, as he described it, like, he's writing for a right wing or, I don't know, neo-reactionary, he described it some way like that, uh, uh, publication. And he, he turned his nose up at that. I think zero books uh, perhaps is some kind of, like, Marxist thing. Um, I wish I knew more about this, but uh, okay. So you don't know. You don't know like that much about the whole. Story, I, I, I don't know the nitty. I don't know the nitty gritty about it. I know the abstract stuff, the high level stuff. So someone is clarifying actually in the chat for me that Doug Lane thinks Jacobite is a reactionary mag, and that reactionism is antithetical to zero books. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, whatever. That sounds about. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, like, but you, he's, he's in the right yeah. direction. Yeah, you're not. You're not offended by that, obviously, uh, but. You did yeah, say that I mean, you know you think of you think of Jacobite as dissident and right, but yeah. you know you you see like certain uh, certain aspects of leftism can be you know welcome oh, under under the yeah, umbrella. I mean, so it's not. I mean, it's not like yeah. you're like opposed to the left as such necessarily. Yeah, we're not like opposing all things to like all leftism. I think that's that's like just frankly intellectually boring. Um, mm-hmm. So no, we're not that. So. But I, I think that kind of openness, like, yeah, there's, I'll, ha- I'll have someone who identifies as a communist or at least has a Marxist mode of social analysis. They're welcome here if they have interesting things to say on their own merits. I don't think that kind of openness is symmetrical with, like, most people on the left. Um, I think they're like, well, shit, we don't have to abide these people. We have this, like, we have a, a robust and toiled within like we, we can get as much as we want it's like shit on these guys is like all the problems that's all, all we have to do and there's a lot of like incentive social incentive mechanisms i think to make that the case 
but like even if i wanted to just be like yes fuck the leftists if i just wanted to be like a, a prop dumb propaganda like affirmation machine uh, if i like i i would probably pay the price for just being like a rabid ideologue in the ways that like zero books is not paying the price um because you know but uh yeah um but I, I think to to bounce off that i actually have a question for you um and uh i just forgot it <laughs> it's hold on it's good let me, let me try to think um oh yeah yeah so there seems to be some kind of like just forming connective tissue between like academic or intellectual like something within the ballpark of marxism of exasperated people who have toiled within that status quo and are like this is all mined out because like marxism has been sort of there's been this weird mapping on uh, from marxism to intellectual like a one-to-one mapping is like if you're a marxist you're intellectual and intellectual means marxist um that you know, I, I think that it's it's just so it's so like heavily treaded that there's just so many less interesting or clever philosophical angles to take it in that it seems like people are exasperated by it. Like people who are traditionally on like the academic left or like that kind of left are like maybe there's like other things to offer in that like forbidden section of the library over there. Um, do you get that idea? Do you think there's something? Is this growing? Is this, do you think it's more present than it, than it used to be? That's a good question. Whether it's growing or not is one question. Maybe I can reflect on that in a minute, but I could start, I guess, with what I know best, which would be my own experience and trajectory. And I would say that in my own trajectory, I think when I started reading kind of some of the more radical right-wing kind of thinkers who are popular today, like Nick Land and Moldbug, uh, and I started reading all, all of that stuff like with a lot of interest. I got I got really into it for quite a while. I'm still, I still read some of it. Um, mm-hmm. And... Part of it was just boredom. Yeah, boredom with all the leveling stuff I had I had read. And I think especially when you're like told by your like peer group like what should be read, you know, like what needs to be read, what books you need to be aware of, what books you should be thinking about. Anyone with like a genuine intellectual tendency, immediately their mind is immediately going to go to like what you're not supposed to be reading. I mean, I think that's just a natural thing for if you're if you're an intellectual you're you're curious curious, you're curious yeah and so it's like you want to find out what's going on and so i think what for me yes it was partially like i think you kind of alluded to this that when the when the culture sways in a particular direction and i think you know the trump election shows very clearly that almost all of like respectable mainstream culture has a quite a bias um toward a kind of respectable progressive um, kind of attitude when when all of the when the whole center shifts sufficiently far to one side, it just makes sense that the next um, nuggets of insight that are being neglected that an enterprising right. young intellectual can can find out to the greatest effect. You know the most the most profitable next discovery, and I say profitable not in a monetary sense but in an intellectual uh, sense. Yeah. It just ma- it just Yes, it, it it's it it it's just going to be the case that it it's more likely the next big insights that everyone else is failing to see or grasp is going to is going to be hiding somewhere on the other side or at least closer to the other side 
than the center of the herd is, right? So I think I think that's I, I kind of think that this is what Nick Land meant when in my conversation with him recently, when he talked about how he thinks there's a certain kind of cyclical pattern to when you know certain when a radical intellectual might take a kind of left wing flavor or a right wing flavor. He said something about how he thinks there might be something cyclical to it. And it wasn't obvious to me what he meant when, when he said that. But after thinking about it, I think this kind of might be what he meant, which is that, yeah, like whenever the center goes too far one way, it just makes sense that if you want to radically prod at what everyone is missing, if you want to look what everyone is look for what everyone is missing, you're going to go in the other direction. Right, and that, yeah. doesn't mean like, that doesn't mean I became like a right winger. But I guess it's it, I guess it's kind of like what you were saying. It's like um, I had to kind of disengage from my perception of myself as like the marks in the Marxist mold, right? Uh, and I had to kind of like try on for size, like a somewhat more like right sympathetic uh, kind of like state of mind. Um, yeah, and I'd imagine in contexts where the right is more ascendant, you know, like I I, I think like you know hard it's trying to think of a good example like i don't know maybe an example would be like uh post-war like french radical leftism or something like after you know after the experience of um you know the occupation and uh Pétain, you know maybe like in a certain type of context where the overriding feeling is like re very reactionary then like a left-wing kind of mold makes sense for like mm -hmm. most radical ideas that could be expressed at that time or something like that. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I, does that answer your question at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that does answer it. And I, I, would, I do wonder just kind of a, to Eliup off the last question. Do you, do you identify more people maybe who are like have a visibility right. in the internet who, who you think are this kind of exasperated, like connective tissue between like, let's look over here. Let's consider this in good faith. Right. That was your other question. Like, do you think it's yeah. going to increase? Uh, but, I mean, do, do you know, if, I mean, you, you said you're not sure about that, but uh, a, a sort of separate question is like, are there people, thinkers you'd identify as in a similar like, situation as that? Like, that you oh, could point good, to? Good. Yeah, good question. Um, my honest sense would be, I'll say a few things. My one sense would be, I think a lot of current academics are pretty genuinely content with the current kind of reign of SJWism kind of moral, moral righteousness. Like I, I, in other words, I don't think that um, there are many currently kind of tenured established academics who have a kind of personal secret set of truths that they're just dying to be more frank and explicit about exploring. Um, but they're, afraid to because of social pressures and that maybe, you know, if the conditions change, they would suddenly express their, their radical uh, secret interests and, and, and feelings and thoughts. I don't think there's much of that. So yeah. And that goes back a little bit to what I was saying about the increasing of select selective pressures. I think any, anyone who's like a young tenured academic, for the most part, an overwhelming majority of them, they're there precisely because they genuinely are quite content with the, uh, party, the, the status quo, the status quo ideas. Yeah. So I would not expect a model in which you see uh, kind of mass defections from academics um, towards a more like radical kind of space. 
But I think one thing you could see, however, is as the kind of, um, you know, we're kind of in this sort of like uh, kind of witch trial moment. You know, there's kind of like an arms race of like accusativeness and, and moral righteousness. And I think you could imagine a model where in the near future, like as more and more like innocent people basically get accused of like crazy shit that they're not really like, yeah. very guilty. Of. Yes. They're not very guilty of that could maybe trigger um, some kind of like major um, like change of mind or change of orientation mm-hmm. among people. But honestly, even that I'm not so uh, bullish on like, I don't know if you looked at this recent news article about the uh, media, the me- the shitty media men controversy uh, without going like, too much. Oh, into yeah. it. Yes. Um, the guy, the union, the union rubber stamp management's decision to fire this guy. Very like, strange. And like the men, like there, were men, there were men apparently who they say that they were wrongly accused and also that they support the, the uh, accusation right. like out of the greater good or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah I think I, I, I would not put my money on major <laughs> defections from current academics. However, the other question was just, are there, are there people out there um, who are, who are currently or maybe about to be kind of like breaking the, the, uh, the equation between like intellectual and Marxist. Um, and I'm trying to think, uh, I would say I would look towards people in grad school right now. That's what I think about. Like, I think smart young people in grad school who aren't like fully formed as, you know, like as their intellectual career has not been fully kind of cemented or their, their mindset and their, their orientation has not been fully cemented and they haven't been, you know, they're not established yet. I think you'll see more and more of the smarter graduate students kind of sniffing things out and saying like, uh, if I have two choices, like the profession or being myself on the internet, you're going to see more and more smart people from graduate trajectory from the graduate moment defect off. So you're seeing lots of cases like that. So like one example would be like Oliver Trolby. Does that, does he ring a bell? Oh, he wrote for you. Yeah. He wrote for you. Yeah. He has a piece in Jacobite. He and I are kind of friendly on, on, on the internet. Like he's a PhD student, very smart, probably Mm. very capable of like succeeding in academia. But you know, I feel like people like Oliver Trolby, increasingly they're going to choose to not go into academia. I think Mm. they're going to, they're going to create new ways of living more intellectually freely on the internet. Um, who else? I'm trying to think if I know, um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of people right now, I think who are, uh, students, either undergrads or graduates, and they're very smart and they're anonymous avatars, you know? Um, like that's one of the, that's one of the things I'm kind of trying to do with this live stream. Like I have, I talk with a wide variety of people like above me in status and below me in status, Mm -hmm. because like, I think right now you don't know where intellectual value is hiding right now. Exactly. And so I have a Maybe it mapped on to status before, like, okay, this guy is well-respected. That means he has good things to say. But I think that's definitely different now. Absolutely. I think there's a major, it used to be, you know, status used to be fairly well correlated with intellectual value. And now people are realizing the correlation is way weaker than people thought. And yeah. so kind of the, the underwriting kind of wage, the strategic wager of like my current kind of internet project, especially around the, the live stream is like, I can kind of use the cheapness of digital communication and kind of use quantity to make up for um, yeah. this, 
this like search problem basically, because like, if you're willing to take a little bit of a hit in status, like, yeah, I talk with lots of people who don't have status and some of my professional colleagues might look at me and be like, Oh, Justin's a loser. He's talking with these people who are not famous or whatever. Like, but if you're willing, if you're willing to take that little bit of a hit in status, you can make, you can so make up for it in terms of quantity. Like I'll just talk with like a million people a year. And if only like 20 of them are like super fascinating geniuses hiding in the shadows, then I come out way on top in terms of like the intellectual value that I was able to find and create and and everything, you know? So I think yeah. there's a, a model there that um, what people will more and more figure out how to, how to exploit. And um, yeah, if I can think of anyone else more specifically, I'll let you know. I mean, I think yeah. you're seeing like, Oh, go on. Yeah. Do you know, do you know, I don't know how to pronounce Anna Kachian or do you know her? She seems to be going in like an exasperated. She's, she's obviously like solidly red, but, uh, she oh, seems she to do a podcast. More, he has a podcast. Um, she's big red on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Um, and so I don't she know seems her like, personally. Okay. But I mean, I don't know her personally either, but, uh, she, like, she, she just seems to have like the, an exasperation with like, the typical like taboos and sacred cows and you're like you know like families are good like like this is like uh, i don't know so she she seems to be more and more like willing to like break the mold but like i don't know still keeps her left to stripe somehow interesting i've seen her around but i haven't really looked into her stuff but so you're saying she's she's based she she is based in red pill my friend no uh, <laughs> i mean um no, no i she and her, she she says it, i don't agree with her on most things i'd say but she she seems to be willing to like say things similar to you it's like yeah like these old social modes of organization like are human and humane like the love between like mother and child and husband like these are all like very okay. very valuable things like she doesn't put it in those words so maybe i'm misrepresenting sure. her but it seems to be things that would like be at least a little bit aligned with things that I've heard you say. Okay. Like you get the sense. She's not just like towing the line of some like leftist sure. yeah, catechism. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, uh, well that's, that that's useful. Cause I'm always looking for like interesting people, you know? Uh, but sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to tell who's who, and you don't want to like invest a lot of time trying to figure it out. So yeah. Yeah. I course. think another thing I would say is like, I mean, I see Jacobite as kind of like playing a role in this search process. Like, I, that's what, that's how I kind of see it. Like, I think you asked me if there are other academics who um, are kind of like defecting from the party line. And it's kind of hard to think of many, but I feel like w- there's now kind of multi-pronged decentralized search effort going on where right. people are trying to find like who are the cool, interesting, valuable thinkers and creators out there who are not you know, getting sucked in and distracted right. by like the bullshit institutional game. So I, I feel like Jacobite, like that's one of the things that that's one of the reasons why I, I'm interested in Jacobite and why I pay attention to Jacobite and why, you know, I'm generally, even though I don't agree with everything in there, I'm, I'm generally sympathetic to the project because mm-hmm. I see Jacobite just like I see kind of like um, similar to Quillette. Like obviously you guys have different brands very much, yeah. but, but like I see these as, what they have in common, what these different projects have in common and kind of my project too, in, in a sense is yeah. just creating, creating a little tent and then using it to try and go around to sniff out, like where is their value hiding right. and to give it space, space to breathe. Right. And then it's see like, what who is undersold? It's like, you know, kind of what I mentioned at the beginning. It's like, well, you know, why isn't this been written about like any given topic, like, or any given thing that's like, well, why has no one heard about this like really compelling idea? Um, and, you know, right. I, uh, I, I think the status the status game is an interesting part of it because 
I think that it's actually an alternative. Like what you're doing and what I think Jacobite is doing of just like, you know what, we're, we're going to forget about status and just like publish people who like say good things um, or say interesting and intellectually powerful things. If When you do that, I think you build kind of the infrastructure or the reputation to get high status people to take a second look at you. Like maybe come on, because I, I think... Like, you know, we've, we've had some relatively, like, in, in the pipeline, we certainly have, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to jeopardize it, but uh, hmm. we, we have pretty famous and well-known folks uh, who are going to write for us and some who have written for us. Um, and I think they, those people are just like you and I, and this fact, like, they like things that are intellectually refreshing. Like, yes, this isn't the same old thing. This is, they're actually like, capitalizing on these undersold ideas or these un- undersold people. Um, and so that, that's kind of the conscious strategy I've had for Jacobite to get it legitimized and get it to, I, I'm not trying to appeal to everyone, but I want to appeal to um, big people, important people, people who I think are worth having their minds changed. So I think that's, uh, that's kind of the hope Uh of any, I think any serious project that's trying to f- do something besides dump a billion dollars into a nonprofit, into like, or into like a mass media company, like those kinds of propaganda machines, is to influence people on top. Um, right. You know, right. and I think that uh, p- people are kind of more and more like, okay, that's what we have to do. And because, and, and consider the people on top are the ones who, the one people on top now are the ones who like were kind of raised on the internet. Like a lot of the people, like they found these intellectual, intellectually idiosyncratic communities. Like here in the Bay, the example I'll use is like less wrong. I'm sure you've heard of that. It's not sure, really a yeah. thing anymore, but like it, it, the spirit of it kind of lives on. Like Scott Alexander's blog, Slight Star Codex, um, mm-hmm. and like he has like really, really like powerful devotees. Like in his oh, comment yeah. section, you can see like you know. Like, you know, it's like important people like Patrick Friedman and like even like Steve Saylor will go at it or he, he and Steve Saylor will go at it. Like, I think because he has the kind of same intellectual openness that you have, it's like, yeah, Steve Saylor, he's like, he's something approximating a white nationalist, but uh, Steve Saylor has got like, I mean, the guy is, is intellectually uh, something to be contended with. And so yeah. I think because Scott Alexander has the same kind of ethic as you and perhaps I do, that he sees the value in that. Yeah. I mean, a, a quick little statistic. I think you'll be very interested to hear. I actually just talked about this on the on the stream last night, but not everyone would have caught it. It's people have people have really incorrect models about like where cultural power is actually distributed. I think you'll really like this, and you'll you'll maybe not be so surprised, but it's interesting to hear. Like people imagine that you know, getting written about in like one of the mainstream media newspapers or whatever, you know, millions of people see that. If they say something about you, everyone's going to think it's true about you. And it's like super influential and important. The idea of like getting a negative article written about you in a, in a mainstream rag <clears throat> that people think like that, that's like really important, and really influential. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas like some blogger, if some blogger mentions you, like who cares? And it's been really interesting. Like I have Google analytics on all my websites. I'm like a data nerd. So I, I know exactly how many people are reading what. On, on all of my stuff. And uh, in the past week, I, I've had two experiences, like not too far away from each other. So it's an interesting case comparison. I, I was uh, fortunate enough that uh, Scott Alexander linked to one of my blog posts. 
Okay. Yeah. That was one event, just one link in a much larger article. It had nothing really to do about me. There's just one link to one of my blog posts. And uh, about a week later, the daily mail wrote an, an article yeah. negative yeah. about me. And I was featured in a headline of the daily mail. And if you look at the traffic that was driven to me, to my name, like how many people looked me up or went to my website or whatever, one link from Scott Alexander was more than three times influential than compared to having a headline about you, a sensational headline about you in the daily mail. I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's very inconsistent with mo what most people have in their minds as like the model of cultural influence. So we're, we're, we're powers distributed in very weird ways now that people don't yeah. really understand. And, um, so yeah, I, th I completely agree with your kind of uh, strategic orientation to like, you don't want to be aiming upwards. Like you don't want to try to be influencing upwards. Like you want to be aiming like to the people around you, to the people like that are actually like the large numbers of people that you actually have genuine communicative linkages to. Yeah. And you know, uh, Scott Alexander's link Jacobite too. Um, once in one of his just link rounds up roundups at another time, he just did a whole article that was kind of, something of like a response or spinoff of it of it and i mean i noticed later like big like you know i think more of the crude numbers that the traffic that directed is that that event put us on the map for like these kind of intellectually curious or perhaps disenfranchised like big people in tech like big tech moguls you know okay. at least at least one got in touch with one of my friends um and they like who who who's in a position where uh you know networking is good for him and who who's written for us and you know that just like that's sort of uh validating you know it's like oh shit mm -hmm. i'm not just doing something for like random like you know 2500 npcs like <laughs> to use the meme right. like a day these are real people like with real like you know heterogeneous like places in life and like heterogeneous things to offer. Um, and it's not, it's not just a matter of like, just like trying to get it out to the herd, you know? Definitely. Definitely. And you know what else I think is another thing people don't, often don't see is that when you're competing within a kind of institutionalized, like prestige hierarchy, like academia or like mystery media or whatever, you're not allowed to um, experiment with or have conversations with, people beneath you in status like if you do that at all it's seen as um it it, it has a negative influence on on how people see you and I've, I've heard examples of this, yeah. yes basically like when you're in an institutional perceived hierarchy you can only ever climb up and you can only work you know laterally at best with people above you and anything less than that is um it hurts you it hurts your prospects basically and that's really really um uh, dysfunctional and, and counterproductive when, as we acknowledged before, status and value has seemingly never been less correlated. You know, like if there's a lot of value lurking in people who have been neglected in terms of status out in the world, there's so much value, intellectual value hiding out in the world with people who don't have institutionalized status. That what it basically means is that institutionalized prestige hierarchies have basically handcuffed themselves so that they have no way to actually go and participate in all of the heterogeneous value that is out there and the readers that are out there and the interests that are out there and the, the organic intellectuals that are out there. They're like, they, they're self prohibited from even participating in any of that. Whereas like yeah. 
for you, for, for Jacobite, for me, for anyone with a kind of independent exploratory uh, in project on, that, that's purely kind of on the internet, there's no penalty to spending some time looking into anyone. You know, you can give, you know, if you have an article written by like one person who maybe ends up being not that smart or has low status or whatever, like it doesn't hurt you. It's like, maybe you, you might end up wasting a little bit of time on people who maybe aren't worth that much time, but there's no like positive penalty. No one's really going right. to care. There's this, asymm- yeah. there's this asymmetry in internet politics where it's like, if you have, if you, if you have a blog and it, the first 50 posts are total utter bullshit and like no one pays attention to them, but then you write one post that's really good and gets people's attention and respect. No one is going to really say like, they're not going to, they're not going to, downgrade you because of those first few posts that they didn't like you get rewarded on the internet you get rewarded for what is valuable and whatever is not valuable the punishment is really just you get ignored for that stuff that, yeah. that part of it and that, yeah that's it's a beautiful a it's a beautiful thing yeah it, it makes it makes it a lot easier it's like you know it's like uh, jack of course you know we have stronger pieces and weaker pieces we've run um but like and you know, I, I might, before I moved here to SF, I had a journalism background and it's like, no, you like every, like people can use the bad pieces against you and like kind of that it's more institutional settings, you know? Exactly. Um, but you know, it's like, that doesn't quite happen. It's like, we get rewarded for the good stuff. We get not rewarded for the bad stuff. And that, that gives us a pretty reliable indicator of what we should have more of, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's like a really beautiful kind of asymmetry in being an independent kind of, you know, content creator or whatever you want to call it that, you know, it, it, it's really empowering. It's because it, it really enables you to take risks and to just go experimentally and to find what works. And it's, it's very, very regressive when you're in this institutional hierarchy where, you know, um, you're basically punished for anything that even looks like it's maybe not prestigious. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, dude, I, I, I recognize we've been talking for quite a long time now. You're probably uh, tired. I'm running out of steam, too. So, yeah, yeah. I, this has been really fun, though. I mean, is there anything that you wanted to, you know, say that we didn't get to yet? Um, uh, I guess all people out there. So we're, we're we've been since the beginning, we want a print edition. Uh, that's been at least uh, a prospect. And we are getting closer. Uh, a few things have to fall into place. Um we have to get, it's been mostly out of our pockets up until now, actually the Patreon, we're actually breaking even more or less now with that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, know, you to, about this stuff anyway. So don't feel bad about like, you're not plugging. I wanted to know okay, that, like, well, how, are you, how are you guys doing by the way? And is it going well? And what's, what's next for you? I wanted to ask you that anyway. So please do tell. Yeah, financially it's like, we're stabilized. It's actually funny. Like when I was unemployed before I moved to San Francisco, um, I, I was somehow, I just, I just had like really low expenses. I was just like, oh no, I, I sold all my crypto, I had cryptocurrency. Um, so I was just on unemployment and I was like paying writers that way, man. You know, it's like, uh, but now it's like, you know, we've got enough people who are, who are kind enough, who believe in the project enough that um, they've uh, gone out on a limb and are supporting us financially. And so now, yeah, we have, we have enough to break even with that, which is, it's really nice. We don't have to like, and we're breaking even in a way we don't have to look like just haggle the hell down in people's like rates. Um, you, we still have normal tricks like magazines generally do. It's like if even Amcon, the American conservative, if you send them a draft, they don't pay you for it. Um, mm. So we do that. We have to do that. Um, 
And if you negotiate it beforehand and they're like, I want to write this, then we'll pay you for it. Just like this is how magazines generally operate um, unless you're some kind of big shot. But yeah, so we, we, we do things that normal institutional magazines do, but uh, we, we are, we are doing well uh, in terms of just being able to like continue on. We're not going to die anytime soon. Um, but we we're, we're sniffing around for ways to fund because it takes, it takes a, a pretty penny to get a, a print issue out. And we wanted to make it nice. We want to make the construction of the magazine beautiful. We want to get professional designers on it, putting it together. We want to get cover artists, you know, artists, you know, they got to eat. Um, that costs some money. We want beautiful cover art. Um, and we want to get like the highest quality stuff from the highest quality people in the print edition. So there's a reason to read it. Um, so we might be, st- we're, we're looking for grants from institutions. Um, we're looking into that. Uh, we were talking to people privately for money for that. Um, and we might have a, we might do a Kickstarter. So I, I know okay. other projects like this, like it's viewpoint mag and there's current affairs. Um, they've done the same thing. They did. They, they got enough to do what we need to do. Um, so yeah, uh, keep keep an ear out, listeners, because uh, we're trying to we're trying to be legitimized. Eventually, I mean, eventually the dream is like Jordan and I, the two editors, like we just use in our free time, which is hard because like editing it takes a lot of time. Like, oh yeah, if you if you mm-hmm. want if you want to do good edits, it takes time, and it's good. It's a hobby. It's like a labor of love. But like, eventually, we want to hire like maybe a part time like managing editor who can just like do the dirty work uh, while we look over the more grand strategic things. Um, and obviously that takes money too. Maybe once we have an actual product for people to buy, you know, reason to have an income more than just the goodness of the hearts of our readers, um, that will be more of a reality. Um, we don't plan on putting ads in our magazine just cause like that's stupid. Um, but no, no ads are going to be on the website ever. Maybe just like a single banner ad that's like tasteful and like within the aesthetic. But uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we're getting a bigger profile, more and more people will like, know about it even people in person it's nice like oh you're robert mariani i go what yeah okay <laughs> um like so it, which you know it's like all glory to god i'm not, like concerned about like being famous or having status uh but it's just this is sort of validation like okay i'm not just wasting my time here but um so yeah uh to sum it up yeah, we're looking definitely. for spring spring 2019 uh is when we're thinking of having the first print edition um okay. that's tentative it, it hangs upon finances and just people who have committed to writing right actually getting us their writing is harder than you'd think that doesn't <laughs> that very often doesn't happen so yeah awesome i'm, I'm really if glad that you've gone if, if there's any other questions in the chat uh i'd be happy to hear them i don't know if there's any more oh yeah i'll i'll, I'll watch out for questions if anyone has questions about jacobite going on right now um yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that Jacobite exists. I think we need more and more Jacobites, and what yeah. I mean by that is not just like Jacobite, but different flavors of it. You know, like I, sure, I sure. see, I see the different outlets. Like I sometimes tell people that, um, you know, uh, Jacobite is like is like a darker, edgier version of Quillette, or like an accelerationist version of Quillette. And what sure. I mean by that is like obviously there's this massive hole in the market which is basically everything that kind of mainstream like progressivism does not want you to think about or talk about. And now there are, now there's this kind of gold gold rush really to, to fill that space. Um, And Quillette is doing it for a certain type of person with certain temperament, with certain accents and certain emphases. 
And I think you're doing, you're, you're also filling that space with, for a certain type of person with certain accents and emphases. But I think there's still a massive, uh, much larger space. I think there's oh, yeah. like, you can imagine um, a bunch of different outlets, just like Quillette or Jacobite with all different types of like personality accents and styles and tendencies. Um, I think it's only beginning to open up. And I think, yeah, I, I hope that people, more and more people kind of create independent projects like Jacobite and like Quillette. And, and like, I mean, that's like what I'm doing in my own weird personal yeah. idiosyncratic way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, I, th- I think what you're doing is really great too. I've, uh, I've, uh, I've liked your, your internet presence in general. Um, I hope, I wish you the best. I, I hope things work. I hope academia doesn't squeeze you too hard. I mean, my, thank you for that, Robert. I appreciate it. I mean, my attitude is sort of like, if you just promise yourself to always say and do what you want to say and do, and you are confident in your own code of ethics, then you just let the chips fall where they may, and you don't really have yeah. to worry about it too much. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not acting like super tough. Like, obviously, you know, the society and different institutions can fuck you, and you want to avoid like big stressful headaches. But I think one of the greatest benefits, and it's a selfish benefit, one of the greatest benefits of, of just like prioritizing at all cost your own intellectual conscience and trying to keep your, you know, public activities as well aligned as possible with like your actual deeper inner beliefs. The the greatest benefit of that is that when shit gets crazy and you have different pressures and stressors kind of like fucking with you uh, in an intense way, you can kind of just ignore it and just wait to see what happens and trust that like wherever you pop out is going to be the right place that you should pop out and that you actually yeah. want to pop out. So I kind of see it as like, I'm letting the current state of institutions tell me where they want me. If it's academia, that's fine. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll succeed there. And if it's not academia, that's fine. I'll, I'll navigate and pioneer whatever outside of academia I need to pioneer. And I think yeah. if anything, to be honest, my, my leaning at this point is to leave academia anyway, to be honest. I mean, I'm so I'm, I'm not, I don't have a grand plan, but I have a lot of hypotheses and possible ideas for like how, an academic, like a, an independent. So you think about it probably more in, in the model of a, 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 you know, a publishing outlet, um, a magazine. And I think about it more in terms of like the individual model, like as an individual person who wants to live an intellectual life, how should you, how should you conceive of that? And how should you plan that? And how should you sustain that and fund that? I have a lot of hypotheses. I have a lot of hypotheses for how I think like an academic such as myself, can carve out a new niche, a new way of funding themselves and sustaining themselves. And I'm just basically experimenting with that. And uh, as my grandfather says, he was a golfer. As my grandfather says, um, if it doesn't work out on the first nine, I'll adjust on the back nine. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the the last thing you said, it's like carving out your own space, one that actually makes sense for you and not like worrying about just like the, the life distorting, like, like energy required to actually change the institution. That's a very, it's a very Jacobite uh, way of looking at things, you know, and so that that resonates with me. Um, But yeah, no, I think that there is a providence in life to just living authentically to, to being aligned with what you're naturally uh, interested in and good at and your natural inclinations. There is a providence there. And I found myself like, 
uh, I was I was fired as a journalist, and now I'm you know, working away better job here in San Francisco. Um, so yeah, hell yeah, uh, all glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey Robert, um, thanks again, man. This was really yeah. interesting. Good to get to know you a little bit and hear about your projects and kind of look under the hood of what you've been doing. And uh, yeah, thanks. Just thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, and I, uh, I really appreciate you uh, giving me an opportunity to to speak in, in real time to people. So thanks, Justin. Yeah, man, you got it. Maybe we'll do it again All sometime. Right. Have a good one. Bye. All right, see you later, Robert. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe, and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.